This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Hello. Hello. Uh, first of all, hi, Nubians. We uh, I haven't seen Dr. Carr in a while, so we... Yeah, we were catching up. <laughs> ...beforehand, because we... You know, and it's interesting because we don't we don't talk about what we're going to talk about. We just we just be talking mm-hmm. about what we're going to do, like in in the future. We kind of we kind of talk a little bit. We don't talk. We don't go extensively because we, we want to do it here. Right, right. So, yeah. um, first I, I want to say thank you to you. I uh, appreciate you. Thank you, Laurie. Last week I was somewhere where I couldn't have steady internet to come live, but I was in class. With Carr and Doc, and Dr. Larie, I'm gonna call her that because y'all, man, no question, she was getting that. Larie is amazing, man. And, and plus, I don't, I don't understand how y'all go five days a week on the radio with different guests and different conversations. That is just a, that's a superpower. But I see why, Ooh. I see why you love Larie. Oh. <laughs> I love her too. She, I mean, that just the, that energy is a different energy, and I'm glad you hear. We could see it's just fascinating to see how minds work. Isn't that, I mean, like we are a tapestry of, of greatness yeah. when we come together. And, yeah. and I feel like, you know, too many of us because of the social structure has, mm-hmm. you know, they made us believe, you know, we're special magical Negroes and we could do all of these, these things. None of this gets done without the cooperative, you know, without us all bringing our brink, meaning, you know, you and I have a certain particular vibration and energy. We're different. We, we got different personalities. We, we operate differently with people, but when we come together, our togetherness makes makes it whole. And watching Laurie, I was like, "Ooh, that piece!" This I was like, "Ooh!" And the two legal minds, and and oh, so it was just it was nice to sit and watch. But more importantly, you know, I took off on the radio, and I had different people sit in. Ellie Mastal sat in for me. Yeah. Reese filled in for me, and and uh, yes. Uh, yes, Drew McCaskill, and each person brings something different for the audience, but they bring something that I can't bring. And so it's, it's to me, you know, the, the mission, if you have a platform is to provide all of the things, but one person can't provide all of the things. So you got to give people the things that are, that are missing, you know? Um, And I, I feel really satisfied and happy that people can get fed when I'm not here. So I'm like, yes. And and fed good food. I mean, can we take a second and again, you all like, like, like we just heard Prof say, we don't talk about, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, you know, the most we'll do is maybe sketch out the charts on a couple of topics we might want to explore and then we'll think about it and then we go live. Now, this is one that comes to my mind that we didn't talk about this morning, haven't talked about it all, but I must ask you about this because I am almost completely ignorant. I know the name, I know the presence, I've glanced at some of the conversations that this brother has had over the years and now that he became an ancestor. What am I to make of Kevin Samuels? I don't have any. I mean, I just feel like it's got him because he's he's got. Roland said this the other day, and I and I had to agree with him. He said, you know, people saying, "Why are y'all talking about Kevin Samuels?" He said the guy got a million point something this on that and this. He said, like it or not, he's a presence. And the reason I asked about that, it wasn't even in my mind, Karen. It wasn't in my mind. But as you were and are talking about the power of collective. And the brick metaphor that you're putting out in our hearts and minds, us bringing our bricks and the standard that we are building together, because you can't do it by yourself. He popped in my mind as one of countless folk who kind of convene these spaces 
driven by individuals and individual personality, but clearly striking a chord of something that resonates with enough people that they're drawn to it. So I don't know what to make of it. That's why I'm asking you about him as an example. I mean, not good, bad or indifferent, but how does that, how does that happen? Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause I just see some of his conversations. I don't, you know. I'm, I'm pausing because I want to make sure that I'm clear. Um, my timeline has no Kevin Samuels conversations. Mine either. That's right. why. I, okay. Well, then, then so, that's the answer. Okay. So, um, and here's what I will say. And this, and this goes to anyone with a platform. Um, it was interesting. Um, Ellie Mastal had a woman on my show when he was hosting. In the last hour, talking about Eric Adams, mm-hmm. and and he and she brilliant. I, I can't. I think her name is Brittany, Doctor Brittany. I, I apologize to you. I'm horrible with names. I have to drop names in the chat sometimes so I can remember people. I'm I'm horrible with names because to me, it's wait, 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 younger sister. She's a just. It wasn't, it wasn't Brittany Cooper. No, it was not Brittany Cooper. Okay, and it may not be Brittany at all. <laughs> but she was on the show with Ellie Mustyle. And she she's written about um, Eric Adams in many different places. And she said the brilliance of Eric Adams, everyone who has a problem with Eric Adams, who's the mayor of New York City, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, is that he was able to get in room. So so all of the progressives in New York, because they thought Maya Wiley should have won or, or you know, the brother um, from Citicorp or this one should have won, that one should have won. There were a lot of amazing candidates running for mayor. How did Eric Adams win? Well, all of the people who were talking to the people who were about something, and let me not say it that way, all the people who were, you know, going for the MSNBC or CNN crowd, which yes. again, I've said to you on these airwaves, is very small. They all went to the same place. How about that? To talk to the same people about the same things. There Eric Adams went to Staten Island. He went to those places, those Baptist places in Brooklyn, those conservative black folk, which most black people are conservative. The only reason why more black people are not Republicans, because Republicans right now, the party represents racism and white nationalism. And that's where we, most of us with a sentient mind will say, I can't be a party to this. But I agree with the abortion stance. I agree with the fiscal. Uh, you, you agree with a lot of the tenets of Republican ideology and, and politics, but you cannot the, the, the bridge that's too far, except for people like Herschel Walker and others, that racism is too much. So I can't be a party to it. Eric Adams knows this. And New York is a mixed bag of nuts. And I keep telling, I told my students this yesterday, you know, we can be very, you know, happy that we live in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, or California, and we're not going to be impacted by this Roe v. Wade decision. I said, but let me remind you, New York had a whole ass circus clown as mayor, Rudy Giuliani, who in many, you know, in many estimations kept the city clean and safe and all of these things yeah. uh, with the brown dye running down his face and all of the craziness. There was a something about him that he got elected twice. And it's also a state that gave you Pataki and it gave, you know, you're going to have Republican governors. You got Bloomberg. Don't get, don't rest on, well, I live in this very liberal. You don't oh, live in no. fashion, right? Staten Island, I mean, Chris Smalls handed little Lynn Graham his hat Yes, this week at in, in in the Senate hearings, the brother who's the head organizer for Amazon and Amazon did get that union in Queens, but it failed overwhelmingly on Staten Island. So yeah, like you said, I mean, John Henry Clark used to always say, "You call New York a city, but it's really a multi-ethnic nation. <laughs> There's many different everybody in New York." 
neighborhood to neighborhood, borough to borough, you know that there are places you can't go and shouldn't go, what have you, especially as a black person. But even that liberal conservative thing, there are pockets of blackness that are widely conserved. They want policing. They want in oh. They want stronger. So they're not mad at the stop and frisk. So no, we, you know, no. we the loud voices aren't necessarily the ones that are resonating. So Eric Adams was able to get in a room with those people, but also get in a room with all the people and tell everybody what they want to hear in the same room. It reminded me of that. Um, you know, I used to watch Boardwalk Empire, and there was a, a uh, an episode where Nookie, with he was running for office, he went to the back, the black church, said the thing that they wanted to hear, and then he went to the to the Irish, said the thing they wanted to hear, went to the Italian, said the thing. Eric Adams did that in the same room with everybody and everyone heard what they wanted to hear. And they were like, Oh, okay. All right. He's going to do it. So that's what she said. Don't sleep on him and think he's a buffoon. He's saying everything everybody wants to hear at the same time. And there's something demented about the people who are, could be in a room, hear different things, but only hear what they want to hear. This is where we are right now. So you and I'm bringing it back we to were in 2008 when um, Barack Obama, who has that same talent, uh, became president of the United States. <laughs> Except Barack Obama could say absolutely nothing and everybody could hear what they want to hear. What they want to hear. So um, I, I say that to say hmm. we are in a in a place where, <clears throat> excuse me, spiritually, I think people are looking outside themselves for the answers because to do the inside work is way too hard. So if someone is telling you that your problem is Mexicans, your problem is immigrants, your problem, your problem is the the Africans coming here, taking your reparations. If your problem is women won't listen, you know, and and because they are independent and got degrees and they're fat and whatever, your problem women is that you, you know, think you're, you, you don't need a man. So that's your problem. You know, if, if your problem is outside of yourself, and someone is speaking to that, and you're like, yes, yes. I saw a tweet, uh, I forgot the guy's name, Dope Heart or whatever. He said, before Roe v. Wade, men were married. They had they they were in the household with their children. They were this and this and that. And then Michael Harriet said something to the effect, isn't it interesting that when women had a choice, <laughs> when they finally had a choice to not have to do that, that your starry ass basically can't get a woman. Is you know, so but it's interesting, yeah. Michael Harry, I love Mike. Him. Boy, Mike is shots fired all the time. He just puts that he was with that. I'm I'm being myself with, with paraphrasing what he said, but it was real subtle. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But I think you know, um, there's a scripture about you know, listening for the, what your itchy ears want to hear. It's not the truth. That it's it's what your itchy ears want to hear, but it's not you actually taking control of the things in your life that you wish were better and making changes within yourself mm. that, you know, so when we imagine this space called Nubia, and I said, you know, my proudest moment this year was during Healthy Wealthy Wise, when you go to an event where, you know, people care about each other, you see young people, old people, parents with their children, couples, married, unmarried, men, women, retired folk, all with the same, uh, you know, desire to learn, grow together, have fun, play cards, do, you know, karaoke or whatever, do yoga, swim, listen, you know, that's us. You know, you know I said something on the radio yesterday because Oprah has this new initiative for black women only, you know, and I was like, uh-huh. trying to catch up after all these years. Yeah, but you know, but at the end of the day, even that is driven by commerce, right? No you know, question about it. 
you have demographics that you have to feed. And we know that, you know, Procter & Gamble and these companies, you know, they, they have their categories and this is who you need to reach to get this money. And I was like, I'm, I don't, we don't have to do that. We just, you know, we put it out and I, you know, it was interesting because I had to send you a, a, a text. I was like, is Baba Jeremiah right on, on in Nubia? And you're like, I told you, yes. I was yeah. like, look at one of our teams, like, we got to verify him. Is this really him? I was like, so I had to ask, but oh, Jeremiah yeah. Wright is here. You know, Coco Selassie, you know, she just yeah. reached out like, yeah, I'm, I'm in Nubia. Fred, and I'm here. And I like, they both embarrassed me. At, at the sermon, uh, Jeremiah Ray gave his retirement sermon. They shouted out in class. They said they had never missed it. And Freddie Haynes, you know, who is one of Jeremiah Wright's sons, one of his senior sons, certainly in the ministry, preached that last sermon, Jeremiah Wright's retirement sermon, after Jeremiah Wright did what he did. And listen to those two elders. They, I mean, you know, they are here. And so respect, shout out to both of y'all and to know that, you know, they're part of this community. But it, it's, it's humbling. And also it is exactly, you know, when you describe the elders around the trees teaching multi-generational, multi, you know, it's not divvied up by gender and race. And, you know, it's all of us coming into community to, to improve this, this vessel that we've been given, you know, this mind, body, spirit, it, it, it is exactly what we need to do. So, you know, every week we come into community and now it's expanded throughout the week. And we were just talking before coming in of who else is coming, but it's just, you know, this is what it should be. And if you're dissatisfied with things in your life, fix them, fix yourself. Um, and, and mind your business, you know, if, if you are looking at other people and how they're living their lives and it, it somehow bothers you, that's more of a you problem than it is a them problem. And, you know, if you, if you want to lord over somebody and make them bend to your will, that also shows inadequacy in you and frailties in you and mm. you, because why would you want to control what anybody else is doing? Period, you know. And That's the question. Why? Why? I don't know. I, it was interesting. I had a, I had a young student in my class yesterday who shocked the hell out of me. It was a young young brother. Don't you love it? Don't you love it when they do? Uh, and I rarely have, you know, because Hunter Hunter is diverse and it's you know. I'm, oh, no question. I have two, three students from mainland China in my class. I, that's one thing I love about Hunter. I mean, and one thing I love in general about working class education spaces like that. It is, it is, it is. Uh, anyway, go ahead, please. So the young brother said, "What happened?" <laughs> we, we, you know, my class is real life, so we're gonna have real life conversations. We treat it like, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't want to speak out of turn about him. But it was shocking because you know he, young brother, han, you know, handsome. I was like, well, you know, when you when you think about um, these issues that we're dealing with, I wouldn't expect him to have this view. But he was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna probably be a villain today. And I was like, well, first of all, you starting off wrong. Don't set the table with us to, to form our opinion, you know, survive <laughs> at it naturally. But now I'm going, now I'm sitting there ready. And he said, you know, so if, if my, if my, my girl gets pregnant and, you know, she wants to have an abortion, I'm not with that. I'm going to be there for her. I'm going to be there for the baby. And I'm not with that. And I'm not with, you know, her being able to get rid of that child and blah blah blah, and, and so it's majority women in the class. So I was like, "We not what we not going to do is beat up on him because we this is a safe place. Let's hear because this well, is really safe because he wouldn't have said anything if it wasn't safe. Facts, but this is how we got here. So let's have let's talk it out. No so question. Everybody got to have you know their conversation about it, and you know he he still and I said you still you know you have a right to believe what you believe and feel what you feel and think what you think. That is absolutely your right. 
However, you know, as, as the laws suss out, this is not about feelings. This is about autonomy. This is about control. And at the end of the day, the responsibility for you, for everybody in this room is to have conversations with the people that they lay with about how they feel. Because I'm sure the women that you're, you've been with may not know that <laughs> about you. And that, oh, and that would cause conflict if they make a decision. But you know, or, what, might, if, might, call, um, or might cause a different strategy in terms of the sect act itself. Like wrap it up, then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I knew that, then yeah, I ain't saying we ain't gonna do it, but uh, we right. might need to approach this. I have a different. Then I, then I said, if it's a moral thing, you just fornicated. So how you suss that out? Like how does that make mm. sense? You know, so like, I said, at some point, you're gonna run into a place where you're gonna have a, a, a conflict of interest within yourself. Ooh. And so that that behooves us to like really you know have sound conversation. So I what I love about this space is you know live your life, do what you do, uh, but we're gonna frame it around some facts, some history, and you know if you still arrive at the place that you feel what you feel, that's fine. But you know we're we're a nation of laws that well, we're not a nation of laws at all, and ultimately. First, first they come for your womb, and then they come for the rest of you. You know, and well, in terms of black women, they've never stopped coming for the womb. Right. That's why I cracked me up reading Alito's opinion in, uh, well, the draft opinion in Dobbs, the Dobbs case, where he talks about our our history and tradition. Anytime we're looking at that now, we just laugh. But then when he says that this goes back to before the Civil War, at the time of 1868 when the 14th Amendment was passed. He said that a majority of states outlawed abortion. And I think it was like, what, how many states were in the union? 38 at the time. But anyway, I was laughing. I'm thinking, yeah. And you know, in all those Southern states, women were property. And every time a baby came out of a black woman's womb and enslavement, it, it was the it was the equivalent of a human ATM. So you understand it wasn't nobody going to allow no African women to terminate pregnancies. And of course, they weren't considered human, legal humans. They weren't citizens. But sir... Uh, well, you wouldn't know nothing about it anyway because your ancestors were still in Italy. But the point is, you came here and got that whiteness, and now you talking about an hour that literally ain't in your bloodlines, and conceptually, it's not even in the experiences of African women whose wombs have been under assault since the first African foot set on these shores. I mean, so again, we can who is this we we keep talking about? Black women been catching hell from jump. So yeah, I mean, that conversation must have been fascinating because you got some of everybody in the world in there. Well, how did it how did it unspool? A something year old woman who's auditing. She mm. was quiet, mm. you know, but I I go around the room, everybody has to say something in my class because you can't, yeah. you know, this is that, right? Nowhere to hide. And I, so, <laughs> I was around in 73, but I was a baby. Mm. Basically, I didn't have any consciousness, you know, oh, it was. And I said, and if I'm being honest, as a black woman, you know, my mother didn't burn her bra. You know, my mother wasn't part of the feminism movement because as black women, you know, white women had right, the right to vote and they didn't even want Ida B. Wells in the conversation. So, you know, we've always had to navigate this right. power and freedom differently than white women. But, you know, tell us how, you know, tell us what you went through. And this woman uh, shocked, had the class in tears, Dr. Carr. Oh. She said, um, well, I got pregnant in a state where it was illegal to get an abortion and I was a teenager. And so she goes on to tell, she was Catholic. So, you know, that that, that also was problematic. Oh, Unmarried, all, I mean, all of this, right? New York was the only state at the time that you could get an abortion. And I, I, I couldn't afford to go there at the time. You had to get a hotel room at the time. It cost a lot of money. 
time. You had to figure out how to travel there. I had none of that. So I had to, I was forced to have a child. I had no money. I had to drop out of school. I mean, she went through the whole thing. These young girls in there started tearing up because they couldn't fathom a world where their choice to go to school, their choice. And she said, I lived you know, in. But also, they could be her daughters. So she her granddaughters. Oh, grand, oh, her granddaughters, right. Grand, so they could be, they could literally not be on the planet if she had been able to make another decision. I can't even imagine the, the kind of in, emotions that would be coming out here in a woman. And, and so she's going through, you know, because mm. her, you know, being Catholic at that time, unmarried with a child, she's, you know, she's kicked out, you know. So she had to figure out how to make a way for herself. <laughs> oh, what was, was that boy out from Long Island, Billy Joe? Only the good die young. <laughs> you Catholic girls start much too late. In other words, because you still being assault, because otherwise she wouldn't have been pregnant if the probably Catholic boy had been a good Catholic. <laughs> I mean, so again, it's in the pop culture. <laughs> Women getting assaulted by these cats who go to the same damn church that they do. But in, so, so she and she said she was lucky though. There were uh, several of her friends didn't make it, right? Died. You think about that, right? And and one of my students was like, just because this overturned, she said, I, I I had a conversation with my friends, and I'm like, if I get pregnant, kick me in the stomach, like like they, which is what you know. So like now you're going into black. This is this is yes. the, in African American literature. This is this is the the down the stairs, the kick in the stomach. That's real life. Did, did anybody ask? What what happened with the child? Oh yeah 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 we we got into it. I don't want to give away too much because it's a personal sure, story. Sure. No no question. But yeah yeah it, it 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 ended up with a happy ending. But you know the question was if you had the choice. She said I didn't have the choice, but if I had the choice, I absolutely I absolutely would have considered it. Now I'm happy with the choice that that was foisted upon me. Well that's that's what the handmaid uh, has been gesturing toward they uh, their adoption agencies and you can uh i'm sorry uh justice amy comey stolen seat barrett uh has been saying you know that you have a you know uh their adoption agencies and there are but you know that, that almost sounds like uh scrooge and dickens a christmas carol before he got visited by them ancestors when he was like are there not poor houses <laughs> in other words <laughs> this is very callous and of course comey barrett who along with her husband has uh spirited away some African children <laughs> too. Yeah, a couple of a couple of African children. <laughs> I'm like I'm horrified. Well, I mean, you know, again, Catholicism is real. And we know that uh Haiti is 99% Catholic and 100 percent Vodun. So I mean, all this complicated conversation congealing around this concept of whether or not there is a we. And of course there is no we. So to hear you share a little bit of that now I am I reminds me of a brother a guy over at uh Georgetown uh, University, Jacques Berliner Blau, who wrote a book called um, Campus Confidential, where he says classrooms should be safe spaces. And in those safe spaces, there are things that are often said that are truly unfortunate, but that they also then lead to these revelations. So for you to even share that with us, I think is certainly not a violation of anybody's privacy as much as it is an invitation in a space like we have here in Nubia, which is distinct from, as we've talked about many times, the university is dead. It's going to take a few more decades maybe to die. Uh, but this is this is the future. We talked about this yesterday as we sitting in graduation watching this like, wow, this is this is very different. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, y'all going to see it in a minute, but I ain't going to stick around for y'all. The light bulb to come on. But at any rate, the point is that 
that kind of conversation, that kind of raw, honest, intergenerational conversation, that's what we have an opportunity here. And I said to them, that's why I keep teaching. Um, no question. And none of them have had these kind of conversations because everything is framed mm -hmm. around, you know, journalism or documentary. Exactly. It's framed around, not around the humanity of all of us. That's to right. Have these. And I said, where else can you have a conversation this much of a lightning rod? And there's no arguing. There's no cussing out. There's no anger. We're listening. We're absorbing everybody's story. We're in, engaging in a way, you know, that is edifying to everybody in this room. Um, and it, it just, you know, it's why we teach, right? It's it is. We, that's the, the basis for it. So. And, and it's why we're in conversation. I mean, we have to, of course, the, the moment today, the moment of the topic of the moment is something that everybody saw coming. The Dobbs case was put on the docket for this to happen. And we've talked about this. We talked about this at the beginning of our conversations, beginning two years ago, over two years ago now. So this is nothing, there's nothing surprising in this. Um, it speaks to the heart of the, well, it speaks to the heart of many things, but I mean, in the, con in the context of what you just shared with us, even the idea of private and public conversations has to be seen and framed within a larger context of how we even think about community and society. The idea that the news of the week could be so unsettling is problematic enough here in the United States. And again, we're talking about the United States. We're not talking about the world. Um, those, you know, folks who are part of the British Empire, uh, shout out to all the folk and all the Nubians who are out over there in, in, in England or in Wales or in Scotland or in Ireland, which is what I'm going to bring up for 30 seconds. You know, Ireland banned abortions and then uh, it was taken to public referendum and they had to reverse that law. Um, it, it, it set a kind of, and that's a Catholic country, you understand. Um, but here in the United States, this is the news of the week. But I think a couple of things. Number one, I think it broke too soon. Because it was going to happen probably next month in June, as we know. Um, it is not the only case that the Supreme Court will be deciding. In fact, this will be the most seismic of the term. Now, when they get rid of affirmative action next term, when Katanji Brown Jackson, who has already indicated that she will recuse herself in an act of, um, I suppose that's pretty standard practice, unless you're a white nationalist like Clarence Thomas. Yeah, your skin color ain't no indication of that. Uh, who, uh, you know, is not under investigation. He and his wife, John, John Boy Roberts, whose court now is beyond his capacity to control except maybe with some dissents or joining uh, the majority, the white nationalist majority and trying to write some um, potentially some concurrences that kind of soften the edges. I mean, he's, he's lost his capacity now. Shout out to John, 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 boy, that 2010 is getting you, ain't it? Yeah. That's Citizens United, John, 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 John. But anyway, the point I'm about to make is, I mean, he, he's going to, open he's opening an investigation to see who leaked it you know he ain't investigating his friend clarence thomas but 
But it, the news of the week is this, and I don't think that this case will be displaced, but the New York rifle versus um, Bruin case, that's the second uh, that's the second amendment case that will be decided that will be coming down in the next couple of months. Uh, that's the case that is very likely to loosen, if not discard, I hope not completely discard, open carry laws, ability to get an open carry license in New York City. I mean, if you say you fear for your life, wait what <laughs> yeah that's the second amendment case in other words what the the, the, the city's being sued because people want to be able to apply for an open carry license and they want to be able to say well i just want this for self-defense and what they what they're really the question is is that enough of a threshold standard to meet to get an open carry license oh yeah they bring in texas to new york city i mean but again the supreme court this is why they this is why they fought those elections they got the people now they're getting ready to boston <laughs> The other thing, um, the other frustration my students had, why haven't they drilled into our curriculum civics? You know, it was a couple of young people. I couldn't vote uh, in the last election because I was 17. Mm -hmm. uh, but then my mother said, who are you voting for? And she was like, I don't know. I, so I'm online trying to look up. And I was like, you know, we're here because of state legislature, because of local electors. That many people don't even vote. Like those elections, people run on a polls. A thousand people show up, you get to win, which is why we have an apartheid country right now with a lot of Republican uh, led legislators over, you know, Democratic people. 65% of Americans did not want this to happen, yet here we are because right. of the lower courts and because we had a president that was able to seat a lot of judges because we had a previous president that allowed, well, I won't say allowed, but you know, Mitch McConnell refused to let him seat even right. the Supreme Court. So, right. they, so they, the strategy of this, so I, I want to, can we spend just a little time talking about the tee up? Because this didn't just happen. This is 10 years in the making. I think, uh, well, 50 really. Okay, well, let's talk about like, yeah, 50. They knew this was the way to, to have control forever. Forever. It didn't matter that we had a black president. Well, forever, unless. Unless, not, yeah, unless not, but, unless but not. Unless folk not. who are just like, I can't believe this happened. You know, have you not been paying attention? Uh, and what does this third co-equal branch of government actually? Yeah, let's 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 spend the time on that today. Well, let's do that. Um, let's let's start by continuing what you led out with today, which is Nubia. And I can't really stress this enough. Two years ago, when COVID attacked us and rewrote our lives over two years ago now and everybody went online because we had to and you know djs are trying to recoup their money because they would normally be working and so you know our brother d nice and then the verses and then everybody's you know well now let's fast forward to where we are today people are back outside people are back going and the numbers have cratered a lot of the uh, I was just reading the uh, Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago, just enumerating what we already know, the cratering in stock, including, interestingly enough, that Zoom is down, which I think is very interesting. I mean, but DoorDash and all, all, all the things that people who had two nickels to rub together, and even if they didn't have two nickels to rub together, had to rely on, you see the stock in those companies now going down, precipitous drops. But this persists in the moment that we entered this space we had a quote-unquote i guess what they would call i guess y'all would call a media captive audience well now what remains is that bedrock 
and now expanding of people who realize that while you should be able to go K-12 and have civics at every level to understand how government works, while you should be able to go to university or community college or wherever and have continuing education in that way, the fact of the matter is that not relying on that, even as we fight for that in those spaces, but not relying on it and building this space means that everybody in this space brings their life experience, their studies, and the conversation so that so that the eight-year-old who doesn't have civics or that 15 or 16-year-old doesn't have the sophomore class in civics in high school that I had with Miss Jeannie Scott, a black woman at the time of the Atlanta child murders who had us wearing the ribbons for the Atlanta child murders. And as I told you all a couple of, uh, I think maybe we were in office hours when uh, Monday night when, you know, the, the, the young white uh, student asked the black student, black girl, she said, well, why y'all wearing those ribbons? And then this, the young sister told her, stand near Hillsborough High School, Nashville, Tennessee. She said, because Miss Scott cares about her children. I'm saying, that's a civics conversation. But we had, we had to know. I mean, at that point, black people were saying, stay inside here. Your children are not safe. But, but Miss Scott, who had a racially mixed classroom, she was the civics teacher. And she injected, she put that kind of fact. I was just thinking about that because as we think about now building out, as we continue to grow in Nubia, and things open up, so we start planning on where we're gonna go this summer. What C what CSI sites are we going to do? And office hours, as it's developed, as we sunset this week, Monday is our last week with uh, Barracoon. We'll talk. We're gonna wave all this in in terms of conversation in a minute. And we think about you know coming out. What's next? A name that has emerged in my mind, and I want you know we have a name that we're going to do in uh, you know then beginning in June and kind of bring forward and another name that's coming out and as I'm thinking about this Atlanta child murders made me think about her is Tony K. Bambara um she wrote a huge novel it was published after she made transition these bones are not my child which talks about the Atlanta child murders but I mean we have civics class where that became the driving conversation as part of a larger universe of conversations but every child in there and every these are teenagers now we're talking about 15 16 year olds can have that conversation and need that conversation. But Nubia, and I won't say places like it because there are places now because we have these virtual rooms. This isn't masterclass. In other words, this isn't just people talking. No, we're, we're, we're putting this together. And as we then, you know, continue this conversation, this becomes the space we build, the space we need to have in a society where the reason why there is no K-12 civics and there is no higher education civics and there is no complete overarching civics and is because it doesn't serve the interests of those who rely on the kind of hierarchies that you've begun to, 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 to lay out for us, uh, Prof, today, driven by and fed by conflict. As you say, I mean, you can't, you can't manage people and oppress them if they are aware of their oppression and what to do together to stop it. You have to have the divisions. So we understand a very basic principle of organized labor is that it takes power away from the owners and gives power to the people who are generating through their labor the wealth that the owners are then taking. This is what Chris Smalls, with his fitted New York hat on and his fronts, love to see it, uh, gave little Lynn Graham uh, in the U.S. Senate uh, last week. Chris Smalls, of course, lead organizer for Amazon, uh, organized labor, the Amazon Union, 
uh, told Lindsey Graham is Lindsey Graham's up there just talking about, you know, you whatever, whatever, little Lynn. Because we know that three of your top donors in South Carolina are Home Depot. Uh, what's the second one? It'll come to me in a minute. But the third is Amazon. And we understand about 10 years ago that the state of South Carolina, run by the white nationalist legislature, uh, gave exorbitant tax breaks to Amazon to build distribution centers in South Carolina. Uh, they call it right to work. Just think of it as neo-slavery, the afterlife of enslavement, not enslavement, but an afterlife, a legacy of enslavement, worker oppression. But we know organized labor is at least theoretically, we know unions have a lot of problems. We know that for sure. But we also know that in theory and in practice, um, organized labor is a pushback against the exploitation of labor. But we also know that while the Amazon uh, union uh, took root in Queens by vote of the workers, we know that the one in Staten Island failed. And there are reasons for that that go beyond the common interests of the people who voted. And those reasons have everything to do with the types of conflicts, class conflicts, racial conflicts, cultural conflicts that are seeded. And if you want to know how scared Amazon is about the possibility of organized labor pushing back against them, if you're watching this on the YouTube side, uh, you've probably already been interrupted by uh, at least one commercial talking about how Amazon has paid maternity leave and Amazon has the best the best wages and Amazon people cheering. <laughs> and if you just came back from one of those commercials and continue this conversation, you're laughing out loud right now. But that's all. Uh, where are you going to study that? You're not going to study it in high school unless you are fortunate enough to have a great teacher. You're not going to study it in college unless you're fortunate enough to have a great teacher like Professor Hunter. Uh, but here in Nubia, not only will we have that conversation, we will bring our life experience and our studies outside of this space into this conversation. So that's very important. Now, how does that, you know, let, let's tie this into this, to this again, this uh, Dobbs versus, and I pulled up the PDF uh, because I, I love, I love Sam Alito. I confess. See, <laughs> Freddie Haynes, <laughs> I, man, my man, Freddie Haynes. Look, I'm telling you right now, one of the great blessings of working in a black space at an HBCU is that not only do you get to be around black young people and I started to say black children, but I'm going to pause on that. Although every black parent that I saw yesterday and all the black parents I was telling you, Karen, before we get went live, my friend, Will Packer, the filmmaker, producer, um, his daughter, Nigel graduated yesterday, uh, graduates today. Today is technically graduation day, but they had the ceremony yesterday school to see. And I'll never forget when Will and, his, and uh, Nigel's mom dropped her off. It's like, take care of my baby. So in other words, you know, children are always going to be your child. So, I mean, that, not only do you have, do you get to be around black children in that larger sense, you get to be around black people. And the conversations that black people have with black people, which is why, well, again, out of that comes this concept of the governance structure, who we are to each other, are, are often different than the conversations we have outside of a conversation with other black people even if what we are saying is philosophically the same way if herschel walker came comes into a barbershop in uh dallas i'm sorry he's running for senator in georgia so i guess theoretically that would be atlanta although he lives in texas anyway point is this it, let's just say he comes into a barbershop in atlanta 
and he talks, it's going to be somebody in the chair to say, I agree with you, bro. And it's going to be somebody in the chair next to him like, bro, you done lost your damn mind. How many times did you get hit on the football field? Say, hey, man, didn't you put your hands on your ex-wife? And then, you know, they may get the scrap scrapping in there. But anyway, so but whereas if he has that same conversation in a space where it's all white people and him, then they all start saying, oh, we cheering. Yeah, we love you, old man. You know, I don't know if I agree with you, but sign a football for my son. And then when he leaves, they'd be like, boy, that's that was a fast-ass N-word, wasn't it? Boy, you remember that boy used to run? It's a different conversation, even if it's the same political positions. But I, I, I said I'll say this. In the conversations that we're having now about what's going on in this United States, those of you outside the U.S., we just, you know, we're looking at this as a point of entry as you raise Civics in the United States is often framed around a series of myths. That's what nations are, basically, wherever they are. The nation concept is a myth. And one of the things that we are thinking about now as we build in Nubia and we're going to, this summer, we're going to venture out to some places. And as we venture out, we will be animated in part by the 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 building of a we that's why i call a lot of these sites they call civil rights sites and even museums i call them crime scene these crime so i when i go to them i i, I you know i tell my students i, I call them C, i say when i'm going i'm going it's called csi crime scene investigation so even the black places, yeah, why? Because it wouldn't have been there had it not been for the crime of enslavement. So these are all crime scenes. Even the places where black resistance took root, whether it be Tulsa, whether it be the Haiti section of Durham, North Carolina, whether it be, you know, these still crime scenes. Why? Because for two reasons. Number one, the people there had to bind together in part to form resistance against what was going on. And number two, you see that historical marker, all these markers here? Okay, ask yourself, are they still under black control? No, well, what happened? Yeah crime scenes so as we go through these conversations we're going to have as we go physically to these places and i'm hoping we get to mobile at some point i know we will it's a matter of when and then as we go beyond the united states you know as we build out the thing we have to keep in mind is that in any specific country the the framework the social structure in that country accomplishes two two things number one it it kind of gives a set of broad set of rules for people who live within those borders well that's number two really unfortunately this is what they would call the modern world system because number one is it connects that specific place and country to the rest of the globe and the rest of the globe has been drawn for the last at least half millennium into a modern world system, contemporary world system. I don't want to use necessarily the world, the word modern, although I think maybe it's a distinction without a difference, but the contemporary world system is a system that is rooted in the expansion of a small from a people from a small part of the globe to connect the rest of the globe through acts of violence, settler colonialism. So even when we talk about civics in any specific country. It involves a violence of sorts. Either it's a domestic violence in that place in terms of forgetting of various histories. I mean, imagine what a civics class in a high school in Nigeria, for example, would look like. 
if it's not grappling honestly with the artificial borders out of which the country of Nigeria was founded. And we've talked about this many times. Baba Oz always, you know, kind of helps us remember that among many, so many other things, brother. Thank you for that. But also, if you're going to stipulate, okay, the country of Nigeria exists, and it does with all of its states, then how are we going to deal with the Brothers War with Biafra? How is Biafra narrated in Nigerian classrooms, in Haiti? How do you talk about Haitian civics? And I'm reading a, a book now, a brand new book called The Unexceptional Case of Haiti, where it talks about, and it's interesting that this author is Haitian, Haitian U.S., uh, still with very deep ties to his native country. Uh, country of his people he's writing very honestly and openly and lovingly because part of this is love we're going to talk about that in terms of barracoon titus to this uh, dobbs piece in a minute he's writing very lovingly but critically and honestly and i don't, I don't even i even want to maybe begin to reduce my use of the word critical and think about maybe engaged and and present and pressing it not pressing it in present in terms of being open and honest about it assessment of haitian civic society and the class formations we often hear that so many people in nubia right now and folks who are watching this later in youtube but you know you are daughters and sons of the caribbean and so we hear this over and over again from our fam in the caribbean that it is class rather than race that drives many of these conversations. And I just got finished grading my papers for the law school. They had a brilliant, man, I tell you, one again. And again, this is where, I mean, it, I'm glad to be able to do that at the place, you know, that I teach. And I'm even happier in anticipating and already experiencing the iterations of this kind of thing I'm about to talk about now in this space, because this space eliminates it doesn't reduce it because it was never there to begin with it doesn't confront because it was never there to begin with this space is the space where we have removed the over indexed value attributed to these institutions to the universities places like this and we talked about that when we were in Hershey I mean you know people charge tuition no what we're doing here is superior to all of that because everyone comes in here as an authority on themselves and then collectively we build. This is the thing the university has been put in place since the origins of the university and its Western concept to prevent. You wanna make exclusivity to brand so that you can produce out of that exclusivity a managerial class. This right here doesn't confront that. It ignores it. And in building this, what ends up happening is those other spaces are going to have to come this way. Just like Amazon got to start saying that they pay people well while they say, well, the union is not successful. If you weren't successful, you wouldn't be spending all that damn money putting these commercials in. <laughs> Go ahead. Definitely. Uh, one of my students yesterday, to this point that you're making, mm -hmm. brought up, and I hadn't considered it, and I don't know why, but this is why community is important. It's why we have to have these conversations. Professor, I think, you know, this Roe v. Wade is because it is class, because wealthy people can always get abortions. Right. Who this is impacting are people who cannot afford it, like one of, like the woman that I was talking about. And so what it is doing is ensuring that we always have a working class, an underclass, somebody to do the work. Because, you know, we have, you know, kicked out of all the immigrants who are doing the jobs we don't want to do. So now we have not just a supply chain issue, we have a workforce issue. You know that there's 
all over the country that have to uh-huh. shut down early because nobody's there to work. And uh-huh. we don't have it. We have an immigration problem, which they created. And now we need to have an underbelly, an underclass of people who will work at the McDonald's and the warehouses and the places because they don't have any options. And where do you get that underclass? So I was like, man, my students are burning. Isn't so, that, yeah. that is the brick bringing. Now, don't go anywhere. I mean, because this is that point. It was a she. Yes, it was a young lady. Yes. That point that she made. Who was who was an immigrant from an immigrant family herself? See, so just, just <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, and, and because of because of this, a lot of things that we kind of suspected or knew are now con- convening around this. I mean, we know that as many as one in four women, over the course of their lives in this country, will either consider or have terminated terminated pregnancy, and we know that most of those women they're more likely to be unmarried, more likely to be in their twenties. More likely to be black, not even black and brown. I'm talking about black, and more likely to have already had at least one child. And so, you're talking about 25. percent And in terms of the work, you're right. Now, and we're talking. People are saying we're going to set up funds. You can come to this state. And remember, we talked about this last year. We said when they overturn Roe, all these mega buses leaving Texas and North Carolina, trying to make it to Maryland. Was we already look. Nobody gets surprised by this except the people who aren't paying attention to the point you raised. But once they their attention has been got, that's when the brilliance comes out. What she did is an example of why you being in that classroom is invaluable and why this space is even more invaluable because that girl didn't have to pay to she ain't gotta she ain't gotta worry about student loans. And by the way. Another case you're going to see winding through the courts. Let's say Joe Biden canceled student debt. In fact, let me just pause here for a second. This is just real quick. This is related and unrelated. I'll tell you, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to try that all together. Take your, time. Take your time. No, no, no. This is in Thursday. This is in Thursday's Wall Street Journal. Let me see if I can find a page here. Yeah. It's on page three. A three. Biden's student debt plan is seen as legally risky. See, I got to understand the power of the courts. President Biden would be on shaky legal ground if he were to pursue broad-based student debt cancellation by executive action. President Barack Obama's former top education department lawyer wrote in a legal analysis, somebody leaked a private legal memo that was commissioned for the law firm of this guy, Rose, Charlie Rose, who served as top lawyer, not that Charlie Rose, this Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose, who served as top lawyer in the education department under President Obama from 2009 to 2011. He works for a law firm, uh, Hogan, Marin, Babylon, and Rose Limited. Uh, by the way, t- t- to your observation in terms of workforce and problems, you know, I don't know what Eric Adams or anybody else is going to do about all these vacant uh, office buildings around here because people <laughs> anyway now working remotely. But he says, quote, if the issue is litigated, the more pervasive analyses tend to support the conclusion that the executive branch likely doesn't have the unilateral authority to engage in mass student debt cancellation. They're drawing from that on the 1965 Higher Education Act, Federal Act, which allows the Secretary of Education to, quote, consent to modification, end quote, of loans and or, quote, unquote, compromise, waive, or release unspecified amounts of student debt. In other words, the, the, um, the, the Education Act of 65 does not specify the ceiling of how much money you can forgive. But I'm going to tell you who's going to tell you how much you can forgive the damn courts. But the point, the point is that, that that young lady in your class, whether it's working to pay her tuition, 
whether it's taking out student loans and going into debt, some debt, maybe you can't pay it back in your lifetime. This space differs from that space in that this crowdsourced space, Nubia, which has a, a, a fee, an annual fee, but that fee is small and it gets plowed back into the resources that keeps this growing and keeps this going. And comparatively speaking, is nothing compared to now the, the, the distinction, at least at this stage, and we're going to see about that too. We just do a little bit of a preview, right? At this stage, the licensure is self-awarded. We get the knowledge. We get the benefit. We get to take Metanature from a professor who is the leading teacher of Metanature in the country and one of the leading in the world who teaches it at uh, an HBCU, but also has been invited to and is participating in teaching it at other places. He's going out to UCLA this summer in the West Coast on this kind of Egyptology uh, intensive kind of, but the, but, but, but the, but this, the class here differs from the class he's going to teach even at UCLA in this main regard. This is us, which means our sensibilities, the same sensibility that young lady brought into your classroom, prof, to once had, once her attention had been gained, began to tease out the class implications of this. That same sensibility persists on Tuesdays when Mario Beatty is in here with Metanetra and folks are bringing their language, their culture, their experiences in as we began to see previewed and what's emerging will put and is putting what's going to happen at UCLA or what happens at Howard in many ways. But, you know, UCLA more than Howard. But as you said, it's going to make it look like, damn. Now, my own, you know, I'm laughing about it because I'm thinking at what point do these people who realize, wait a minute, we start coming to offer that. Well, can, can we partner with y'all? Can, can, can we? Yeah. OK. You know, and at that point, you know, we got to rely on you to discern who can and can't come in and be partners, because at the end of the day, what people are have already realized who are here already is that this is superior because this is the thing itself, because we start with that even humanity, which brings me again around to this question of hierarchy and world systems and class, the things that your student, it kind of, aha, I see how this is going to impact the poor, labor, how it's going to keep, yeah, okay, all of those things are at play. And so while abortion is the title that draws the attention, right to life is the kind of way of knowing and conceptual space that is going to have all of us always talking. And while this is not a distraction per as such, it's not a distraction per se, per se, what it is, is a proxy for a social structure that we need to examine. This comes, this is where we bring in the civics and why this is so important because this is civics, but it's even beyond civics. What do we, what do I mean by that? Let's think about this. Let's look at, let's look at, what this evokes. When we look at Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, underneath Alito's draft, underneath this 50-year war, over 50 years war, to uh, it'll be 50 years next year in terms of Roe versus Wade. However, that's not really what I'm going for. The over 50 years, I mean, the pushback against too much "quote unquote" democracy. See, all you Negroes that wasn't supposed to be voting, that what was supposed to be, you can just lynch you whenever you want, or you got to get off the sidewalk. All all you people who 
you know, were in jobs where they didn't take out for Social Security, which was domestics and, and agriculture, which is, you know, you know, Roosevelt and them people who set up Social Security and all that. That's um, Ira Katz Nelson's work, Fear Itself, when affirmative action was white. They should make sure they exempted out of Social Security those jobs. Those are poor people and mostly black people and then brown people, too. All y'all all, all now, y'all pushed back so hard in the 50s and 60s that all this federal legislation, you threatening to renegotiate the terms of this settler state and the united states make no mistake about it is the most successful of the settler states of the last half millennium in this world system that we began talking about that frames the civics of any specific country in the world system even as some places in the world push back against that european world system either because of prior memory and uninterrupted work see china or because of anti-colonial sentiment that gave for a brief moment in time in the 50s and 60s the possibility of negotiating perhaps for themselves something different tanzania ghana i mean you know possibly on the verge of it in the uh early outs and the late 90s south africa but we know that it is very difficult to escape the fundamental assumptions of this modern world system because in that modern world system is seeded in the assumptions about what a society should look like that force these places, even when they're resisting, to try to resist using the same tools that we use to subdue them. This is Basil Davidson many years ago when he wrote a book called Africa, the Curse of the Nation State. You got to think beyond nation states because they're not real, except that you populate them with these imaginaries. And this imaginary in the one that many of us in this room right now are in called the United States of America, this imaginary is pyramid making. So let's look at what holds the polity together? What holds this country together? Because that's really, while abortion is the big thing to get our attention, where right to life, right to choose, personal, all that kind of keeps us there and we're having the debate. Underneath that are the fundamental, is the fundamental social structure that holds the polity together. And at least for the foreseeable future is going to continue in the direction that it's in because it's being driven in part by a pushback against too much democracy in the 1950s and 60s. And it's being fueled by conflicts that shouldn't be conflicts, but they are conflicts driven by race. They are conflicts driven by class. And why, And one of the blessings of being in Nubia is that people who live outside the United States where the populations may be more homogenous in terms of race and culture might be able to see the class contradictions a little bit easier, which is why when you mentioned Eric Adams earlier, Prof, and I was thinking about that in terms of uh, Sonia Sotomayor, I never forget when I heard Sonia Sotomayor say at Howard Law School when she came, was sitting there, she said, you know, I was a prosecutor in New York and I used to try to get in that jury box I wanted non-white people, what I would say non-white. She said people of color, of course, but she said, I I used to do, I try to get them, but I try to get immigrants. Why? Because <laughs> a lot of times the Jamaicans and the Trinis and the folk in Brooklyn, they was harder on black defendants than perhaps the white person would have been. Because in their mind, it's class. You know, you're embarrassing the right. What's wrong with you? stealing and what's wrong. I mean the assumptions made that are based on class and if you're from the Caribbean or you're from the continent of Africa I know that that's that's probably and I'm not saying that there aren't tensions in terms of difference as it usually in like kind of Africa we know those come through through ethnic group or language groups Yoruba, Igbo or this kind of thing but I'm not saying that's not there however class you see class almost much more quickly than the Africans in the United States who are you know long-term residents of the United States because we think race first and in fact 
what you see is that class is often there, which is again why I said this uh, this interesting book I'm reading now, The Unexceptional Case of Haiti. The brother's just being honest. He said, you know, outside Haiti, Haiti is looked at, and I'm one of those people too. And he says you should look at it too. It's also valuable as this beacon of black resistance in the in the contemporary world system. Absolutely. He says, but the but the hard truth is on the ground in Haiti has never been the case. And that shouldn't even be hard for us to understand because we understand how class operates in our society. But anyway, let me let me go on. A closer look at what holds this poly together cuz underneath abortion Underneath the woman's right to choose or freedom of choice or privacy, which is where we're going in this, this is the linchpin. This is where Alito and his friends are going to kick the teeth out of this. Yes, it says abortion. But this is not about abortion. Abortion is the point of entry. What they're after? Oh, what they're after, my friends. Something they call unenumerated rights. Hmm. Professor Hunter, come back for a second. I'm going to ask you a quick question. This is just a tease. We'll get do I have the right to marry a white woman? No, no I'm sorry. Not, not on my watch. Uh, this, yeah. That's the way. That's ways of knowing. That's governance. But I'm okay. saying legally in the United States, do I have there is is there a right in the Constitution? Virginia, right. 1967, Loving versus Virginia gave you, Dr. Carr, the right to do that. Oh, so George Washington didn't give it to me. James Madison. I'm sorry, George Washington signed the Constitution. James Madison didn't give it to me. No, it came no. from a Supreme Court. 1967. But Love they would say the 14th Amendment gives me that right. I'm sorry. Is it, does it say in the 14th Amendment, Greg Carr, a Negro, can marry a white woman? I started to say, can marry Kim Kardashian, a white woman. Now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm teasing. I don't mess with y'all. Anyway, the point is that, <laughs> the point is you just said it, right, 1967, Loving versus Virginia. Alito's point is it ain't no right to marry a white woman. And I, I shouldn't say that. No, because he distinguished between a right to terminate a pregnancy. It's in this draft opinion. He says, now y'all worried now about interracial marriage. You worried about contraception. You worried about uh, um, uh, gender, same-sex marriages. No, he says abortion is different because abortion deals with life. I'm looking at him like, boy, the only people who believe that bullshit is the people who ain't paying attention to you, Sam Sam. Sammy, baby, the right to vote. No, in fact, anyway, let me let me let me discipline myself because we're gonna come to that in a minute. We're gonna spend a, a minute on Dodds. But let me get to this. A closer look at what holds this policy together. What holds the policy together? It's the concept of the nation state. And the nation state is about myth making. What makes people proud to wave the Jamaican flag? What people what makes people proud to wave the Trini flag? What makes people, I was talking to my, my colleague Bill Spriggs yesterday, we're sitting together, uh, grateful that we were both ex-chairs and then have to sit there watching this, we're in the faculty, we're watching College of Arts and Sciences, so we, you know, clapping for the students, seeing the family. And Bill looked at me, Bill Spriggs is a great brother. Um, I said, Bill, do you remember your undergrad graduation? He said, yeah, he went to Williams College, Sterling Brown, you know, they always had a trickle of Negroes up there in the Northeast at Williams. He said, yeah, I didn't want to go, but my mom and him like, you going because this is, I understand. I do understand, brother. And uh, he said, do you remember yours? I said, I'll never forget mine. I was student body president. After I spoke, they banned student body presidents for several years for speaking at Tennessee State because I graduated the same year they gave Oprah her degree, 1987. I told you that story. And Oprah had been giving interviews talking about, yeah, Tennessee State was rough. She didn't have a lot of friends. But see, I knew all. That was a social structure conversation. You're talking these white newspapers because you're coming back, triumphant daughter. Your daddy wants you to get the degree. It's beautiful. It's all a beautiful story. And then in the governance side, however, 
I knew the people over went to school with who were older than me, but some of them were teaching in Tennessee State. And they was like, she talking about she didn't have no help. She had no friends. We helped her win Miss Fire Prevention in Nashville. We helped her with her classes. She was in the in the projects we did. What is she talking about? And I was getting madder and madder and madder, 21 years old. And so I said, well, I'm going to say something because student body president gets to say something at the thing. And so I gave her an interview and I said, Oprah got in the media, talked about us like a dog. Oh, so the, the head of my department, Dr. Jamie Williams, who just made transition, as I told you, out in Atlanta, first woman editor of the Amy Church Review, first black, first woman, period, to sit on uh, the 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 executive, the legislative uh, hierarchy of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Jamie Williams called me and said, Greg, now Oprah's writing her paper. We're going to give her these final credits for it and she's going to graduate now. If you expect to get any letter of recommendation from me and Mac, her husband, McDonald Williams, who was head of the honors program, you got to tone it down. I'm laughing because I'm listening to her and I'm thinking that's tongue in cheek. And she we we laughed about that to the day she made transition and in the year because, you know, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And I got up there and I was like, hey, we glad you back. But uh, never forget that this place made you. And there were a lot of people here who helped you. In other words, I ain't just come forward completely, but what I'm not going to do is be silent as you come up here because you're talking to these people as if we didn't do what we were supposed to do. And you, a lot of Negroes do that. Them, I turn myself into myself, Negroes, to, to quote Nikki Giovanni. You know, another one is, you know, anyway, let me, let me not start naming names because we'll spend the rest of the time doing that. But this question of myth making is where I'm going. A nation state, like any institution, requires, as we talked about many times, a violence of forgetting. And a silencing. And when you think about that in terms of our Africana studies framework, let's turn it up for a second. Movement and memory. There is a war over how you think about and remember a place. So if that place is a place that Black people control, here I think about uh, the late Ron Walters, the ancestor, my friend Ron Walters in his book, Pan-Africanism in the African Diaspora, where he talks about the five different types of states in the world that African people are in, including states that are controlled by Africans, whether it be the countries of Africa, countries of the Caribbean, states in which African people form a minority like England or the United States, places like that, places where there is a plurality or majority of Africans that are not controlled by Africans in that sense, maybe like Brazil, other places like that. But he's, what Ron Walters talks about is, you know, in those states, you have the same framework, but applied differently depending on how many black people you can get together to do things. And if you can connect those black people in those different types of states to each other on some basic common interest, that's why he had, one of the ways he would define pan-Africanism, we talked about that, we talked about reparations, then you might be able to put pressure on all of those individual states to improve the life chances of the people who live in those states. But when you're in one of those states, like the United States, and you are not the majority in that state, like we are here as African people in the United States, then we've got movement and memory that we have and that we debate and we contest and we argue about and we come to some consensus on in terms of some figures, some icons, shrines, totems, rituals, whether it be Juneteenth or Martin Luther King, whether it be Big Wits and Spades or whether it be Rosa Parks, whether it be the whole concept of how we bring in the new year or whether it be whether we're talking about, do you like Mahalia Jackson? Yeah, okay, I like Yolanda Adams. I mean, whoever, while we have those conversations in our own movement and memory and our own cultural meaning making, the state itself has movement and memory. The social structure itself has movement and memory and cultural meaning making. So while the Jamaicans will wave their flags, and this is what me and Bill was talking about yesterday. Bill looked around and I'm looking around in the gym and he said, you know what I don't see? 
I said, what, Bill? He said, I don't see the flags. I said, that's true, man. Because when you go to HBCU, particularly a place like Howard, where Africans come from all over the world, when graduation comes, I, one of the things we always love to see is when the Negroes bring their flags. They will go to the flag store. They bring it from home. You see the Nigerian flag. You see the Jamaican flag, the Trini flag. You know what you don't see? It's that damn red, white, and blue. Because like Jack Roosevelt Robinson, the Negro don't ain't got no flag. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You'll see it come marching in with the ROTC. And people will sometimes, some people, I never will and never will stand for any anthem. And they didn't play it yesterday. The only anthem they played was the only one I stand for and stood for, like everybody else, which was lift every voice and sing. But Bill said, I don't see the flags. I said, Bill, you know what? This is going to be one of the things we look back on and say COVID erased because institutional memory was 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 interrupted. These young people here, they don't have a model because they didn't work previous graduations the last two, three years. So therefore, the last three years, actually, this is the third time. This is the, this is the first time since 2020 we've had an in-person graduation ritual like this. So they don't even know. So they wouldn't even know to remind them, uh, uh bring the Nigerian flag. Uh, 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 grandma, bring, bring, you know, bring the Haitian flag. Although a couple of students were wearing them, which is it's a good thing to see. But anyway, I said to say this: myth making in a in a in the social structure means a violence of erasure. And so the war over memory that we see today, I'm against CRT, war on memory. Tucker Carlson, we talked about this Monday night in office hours. I was talking about the three-part series in the United, in the New York Times last week uh, and this week. Uh, Tucker Carlson, American nationalist. I said, you should have said American white nationalist. Y'all so close, but you can't make, you can't say it, can't, you can't say it, you can't say it. I know you can't say it. Why? Because part of the myth-making in this country requires this social structure to pretend as if what is happening is not happening. And they're getting closer now because this Dobbs decision is going to come down next month. It's pushing them closer to having to say the quiet part out loud because Sam Lolito then stood up in his full racist throat and bleated it to the height of his little lungs. That this is what reminds me of Freddie, what Freddie Haynes said Jeremiah Wright did every week when he preached that sermon two weeks, two Sundays ago, where he said Jeremiah Wright spent his whole life saying it and has spent his whole life saying it with his chest. He said, just say it with your chest. And then Freddie doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on goddamn America. He went into a whole beautiful, just exegetical reading coming from the book of Jeremiah and then just taking it to today. No notes, as Richard Pryor say, man had, did not need pencil, no paper, <laughs> and took the whole thing out. But the point he was making is the point that we often see. Mind you, Jeremiah Wright's a veteran, U.S. Marine Corps. And, but that don't count nothing when in the myth making, they got to make him an enemy of the state. You're the enemy of the state, Jeremiah. I serve. You didn't serve. I know I didn't serve, but I'm a chicken hawk, damn it, and I'm white. White means military service. That's right. I forgot. If you're white, you're automatically in the military. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's almost like a version of the Israeli uh, defense force. You know, everybody cheering for Wonder Woman, Gail Gadot. You know, she had to do her military duty, too. But in the United States, you ain't got to put in your a uniform. Why? Your skin is your uniform. Every white person is a potential deputy cop in a deputy military member of the of the the controlling military that runs this country but that's part of that movement in memory because the movement in memory this is where we see it at the heart of Dobbs movement in memory means remember our category in terms of African states movement in memory asks the question how did or do African people remember this experience well if you would and pass it on from generation to generation well Martin Luther King, Jackie Robinson, Rosa Parks, Martin Delaney, you name it, Harry Thomas, the Journal of Truth. These, I'm just using some iconic figures. Because when we say those names, we're like, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like you Jamaican, you say nanny. 
right? You see Bob Marley, or if you are in Ghana, you say Kwame Nkrumah, the Asaji folk. Not uncritically, should be it should be uh, engaged, but those names mean something different. If you're in England, you might say uh, Claudia Jones or Oluwada Equiano, or, or some of those names that you might see come out, you know. But my point is this: my point is the social structure has movement and memory as well. So movement and memory is what Sam Alito relied on in Dobbs when he says, you know, what is the root of our culture and traditions, our history, culture and traditions. And so the we concept, the we concept operates to hold in place a social structure. Once you've bought into that we concept that the social structure has, everything that flows from that is going to be a fight. But once you've bought into it, you have to surrender some of your movement and memory and your cultural meaning making. And that means that in many ways, your ways of knowing and your governance structure are now subsumed by that social structure. Because they can, as long as you're saying we, then you understand that people might sit back and say, well, the Supreme Court said this, so it's no longer the law. But see, resistance to the we marks how they will incorporate you into the movement and memory. Everything, black people exist in the United States of America in the narrative of American uh, identity, US identity. Black people exist as examples of the progress of white people. Right? Yeah. We all exist here because of the largesse of white people. Look how good white people are. Yeah, there's some bad apples, but look, Nick Rose are living indoors. They take showers. They can pay rent. Uh, three or four of them can vote. And then they, we even elected one to be president of the United States. And he bombed people just like the white president. So therefore, we could trust him. <laughs> and so, I mean, in other words, progress, what is narrated as progress in that, what will be taught in a civics class, if it's not by us in our governance structure, will be the Negro exists to allow the social structure to perfect itself. The example of the Negro gives the truth to the possibility of American democracy. And so if you continue to argue after that, you're a problem. What? Look at Black Panthers, what's wrong with y'all? Asada Shakur, was it? Malcolm X, Man, you know, kill them Negroes, throw her, get her out. The, oh, she broke out of jail. She's in Cuba. Let's pretend like she doesn't exist for a minute. She's still alive. We just gonna keep calling her Joy and Chester Martin. You killed enough of them Panthers, right? I mean, in other words, don't stop arguing. Now, come on, vote, do this kind of work, this kind of thing. But here's the here's where I wanna go with this. The social structure is built on concepts of ownership. What does that mean? The Western world system itself is built on a notion of ownership ownership of land, which immediately puts it in a different category than many of the other ways of knowing in the world, because this social structure has ways of knowing as well. Way of knowing, ownership. I own this land. Oh, I own this, this, this little sand dial. I own this, right? Okay. And I own you. Wait, hold, wait, hold, hold. time out. You can't own people. The response, people are owning people since the beginning of time. Okay, pause, because what have we been doing for the last three weeks and what will we finish up on Monday night in Nubia with Barracoon? We've been talking about the nature of ownership. And in fact, remember those of you who are not in Nubia, you won't know this, but all the Nubians remember on Monday night, we were looking at uh, Sean Stilwell's book in conjunction with Barracoon, 
in conjunction with Barry Coon, because you know, uh, Kasula Lewis, or I want to say, um, Kasula, who was called Cujo Lewis, uh, in talking to Zora Neale Hurston and several other people, as we said, we compared the different narratives from in, in, that he gave over the years. He talks about what happened to him in Africa, and we that let us have a and then what happened in the United States, and that let us get into a conversation on enslavement. We talked about this a little bit last week with Larry, and I'm not going to talk about it again today, except to evoke a page out of Sean Stillwell's book, Slavery and Slaving in African History, which is one out of a ton of books, bookshelf of books. I don't pull this one because it has a good shorthand. Here's what he says. I'm going to tie this to ownership and freedom and then tie all that to Dobbs in a minute. Freedom is usually understood as the opposite of slavery. In most cases, freedom is described in the context of individual or personal freedom to do what, what one pleases. Individual rights. Some of those rights are in the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution. Because after they wrote the Constitution, which is pretty much a property document, ownership, James Madison and them boys like, damn, who, we left out the people. <laughs> Shit. Oh, my God. OK, hold up. Let's go. Let's get the people some rights. It should be some rights as we are forming this criminal enterprise on ownership and all this kind of thing. You know, the, the branches of government that will manage the criminal enterprise in terms of contract relations and this kind of thing. The executive branch, the legislative branch and the judicial branch. Uh, we bring in the civics now. We're going to put our time out together. That's in that whole Constitution. We the people in order to form a more perfect union, you know, establish justice, declare uh, domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and uh, uh, ensure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Oh, that ain't you, niggas. <laughs> I'm sorry. And women, I mean, our posterity, I guess we got to have sex with women to have posterity. Well, okay, yeah, I guess. Okay, well, y'all just be quiet. We, it's cool, it's cool. I voted, which means you voted. <laughs> but anyway, the point is that all this is ways of knowing coming out of the West. But once they get finished, okay, done. Do ordain establishes the Constitution of the United States of America, Article 1, Executive Order 2, uh, Legislative Article 3, Judiciary. That's why they call the federal courts Article 3 courts, Article 3 of the federal Constitution. Okay, we're done. You forgot the people. Damn the people. That's right. Shit. All right. Bill of Rights. Number one. Freedom of speech. In fact, oh, come on, son. I usually keep one on my desk. And then for my class at the law school, because we get into con law, we have these conversations. And let me pull the document. And then right after I finished grading the papers, I put it somewhere else, usually just to get it out of my head for a second before I get back down into it. In fact, let me pull. Uh, there's a new book out called Critical Race Judgments that I'm thinking about using in the fall, at least in part. These are court opinions that could have been written differently and a different legal scholar in a five part book of 670, well, almost 700 pages, rewrites major decisions. What could Brown have been written? And one of the decisions that they talk about in here, very interesting, uh, um, Professor uh, Murray rewrites Roe versus Wade, Melissa Murray. And I'm gonna talk about that in a second. But anyway, um, yeah, here it is. I hadn't put it up yet. Pocket Guide to the Constitution. So the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution. We know those amendments, right? Let's just go through them very quickly. We're going to have a whole civics class today because we got to talk about Dobbs. And we're going to put it into the, I'm sorry, judiciaries first, then executives, Article 2, then Article 3, Section, uh, Article 3 is judicial. And then you have uh, limitations on state sovereignty. That's Article 4, states. And then they talk about how to uh, ratify, amend, and national supremacy. That's Articles 5, 6, and 7, right? So you can amend this thing. 
right? Y'all know the rules on that. You can get the federal legislature enough of the states to do it after you've amended. That's how you can go forward. Some of these states, for example, didn't didn't uh, ratify the 13th Amendment until the lifetime of most people in this room. But by then, of course, it was, you know, they had already passed it because they had a majority of states that did it. All right. Uh, the amendments. One, First Amendment freedom of speech, press, assembly, religion, petition. Oh, that's going to be important. That's coming up, too. Now, we're talking about Dobbs now. Told you about that open carry case in New York. Here's another one that's going to blow people's minds, depending on what the court rules in the next couple of months. And that's Carson versus Mankin. That's the main case. In the state of Maine, they given they given out taxpayer dollars to schools that teach religion. Supreme Court's going to decide whether that's constitutional or not. How much y'all want to bet they're going to say yes? Because remember all them racist academies that showed up after Brown versus Board of Education? They could, there were private schools because they couldn't get public money because there's something in the United States Constitution called the Establishment Clause. You cannot, Congress, the uh, United States does not have a religion. You cannot establish a religion in this Constitution. All right. Oh, by the way, we saw them rule on this case where they asked whether or not um, you could put this Christian symbol up. And me and Lurie talked about that last week. The answer is yes. Well, you can put this up on public ground. Yeah, well, I'm going to put my uh, uh, Star of David up. Okay, you can do that. Okay. Let me bring my star and crescent because it's moving. Hold on. <laughs> and wait, it's no establishment, right? Oh, I'm sorry. By no establishment, we really kind of mean underlying. Here's the nation, the nation state part, the movement and memory. We really kind of mean, you know, Christianity. I mean, come on now. You, you, you all know the song. Sing it with me. Onward, Christian soldiers marching into war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Who you fighting? The Muslims. Yeah, I don't want that in here. Allah. Our God is God. Your God is Allah, which means that God, you fool, don't you know Allah mean God in Arabic? Uh, yeah, Arabic is also the language of infidels. So you, you're a sacred Muslim. In other words, all this stuff, Muslim, communism, it all means the same thing. It means not white. That's really what they're saying. So freedom of speech, the First Amendment, that's the one John Roberts has been using. The Roberts Court, Hobby Lobby, the Roberts Court, Citizens United, Wait a minute. That's a corporation. That's not a person. So how a corporation get freedom of speech to spend as much money they want and saying political speech is unbridled? Well, that's going to require the amendment we're going to talk about in a second, which is at the heart of Dobbs and the unenumerated rights. Because where in the Constitution does it make make corporations people? We get to that in a second. All right, here we go. Second Amendment. Right to keep and bear arms. Oh, that's the one they're going to use. Uh the Third Amendment, quartering troops. The Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizure. You can't just bust in nobody's house, less, of course, if they black, which at which point you can just tackle them, put a gun in their skull, blow it off. You can kick in the door, waving the 4-4, both them John. What am I? I'm trying to eat some ice cream. Blam, blam. Or if you're in Minnesota, you're gonna, blam, blam, you're dead. I mean, sorry, Amir Locke. In other words, if you're black, this don't really apply. All right. Um, number five, due process, property. Okay, wait a minute. They already got due process clause. Why you need a 14th if you got a fifth? Because in 1857, Roger Taney said, this is a judge. It ain't a constitution. He said, I'll read this constitution. And I think there are really two types of citizenship in this country. There's citizenship in the United States and citizenship in a state. Shut my Raj. Well, see, my ultimate goal is to make sure you Negroes can't have no rights nowhere that we don't give you. So the mess Roger Taney kind of exacerbates and heightens in the Dred Scott case, creating two types of citizenship that should be coterminous. The United States Congress, after all these states arguing, John C. Calhoun, the intellectual father of the Confederacy we talked about last year, arguing that states have rights 
independent of the United States, and I'm sorry, I'm going to skip forward to the Ninth Amendment. The list of rights is not complete. The Ninth Amendment, which should be a lot stronger than it is, but it has been. The, in fact, let me just read the Ninth Amendment to everybody. So people usually don't hear about the Ninth Amendment, and you probably, there's a reason for that. It hasn't been really used. Ninth Amendment says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Oh, good. So what are these rights that are not in the Constitution that we still have? Well, that's going to be up to the theologian. The first category they want to talk about is natural rights. Oh, well, what's a natural right? That's the right that God gave us. Okay, your God or my God, because I swear to God, my God, that I'm against your God. I mean, I know we say Jesus, but when you say Jesus, you say Christ and Jesus. When I say Jesus, I say Jesus. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And trust me, Jesus and Jesus are two different people. <laughs> I'm out here and you're not going to shoot us in the name of Jesus. And other, hands up, don't shoot. That's also the car sign. I'm putting this force on your ass because you are an enemy. You are, in fact, the devil. Now I'm quoting David Walker, 1829, who said, I am a Christian. And that man who got us enslaved said he a Christian. So in David Walker's appeal, he said, you must go to that man and say, are you a Christian? He said, yes. He says, in the Bible, is, is slavery wrong? And he says, yes. He said, I'm a slave. He says, yes. He said, you gonna let me go? He says, no. He says, and in that fact, David Walker says, you must now end his life because you are authorized by God to end his life. Because in fact, he is not a Christian, but he is the devil. Because he done told you that he said he a Christian, but he's going to keep you a slave. And he said himself, that's not under the law of God. So anyway, when they say natural rights, God-given rights, what God are you talking about? Who is we? But then that second category in the Ninth Amendment, privacy. The right to privacy. But it don't say privacy in the Constitution. And that's when they go back to that First Amendment. You got freedom of speech, freedom of association. Okay, you can say what you want. Yeah, as a private individual, I can say what I want. Okay, but it don't say privacy. Yeah, but it says freedom of speech. Says freedom of association. You're doing that by yourself, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, well, and then they say, okay, well, then what else? They said, well, maybe the second amendment. What's the second amendment? That's the right to bear arms. We don't bear arms collectively. I got my own gun, right? You know, everybody got a gun. Is it okay? Well, okay. It doesn't say privacy. No, it doesn't say privacy, but it's my gun. Okay, your gun. Well, what about uh they say, well, maybe then the third amendment. What's the third amendment? Third Amendment is the prohib prohibition against quartering troops. You ain't got to put no, uh, let no soldiers stay in your house in peacetime. Unless, of course, you black person, at which point they kick in the door, say it's never peace because you we're at war with you forever. But anyway, the point is that you're, you're supposed to be able to say you can't come in my house without a warrant. Oh, I remember that. Do you have a warrant? Yeah. It's all the procedural propaganda that everybody watches every week. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> law and order. <laughs> The criminal justice system, there are two sides, the police that bust your ass and the lawyers that put you away forever. These are their stories. But the point is that at least when they knock on the door the first time, Anthony Anson and them, they got that, you got a warrant? No, you can't come in here. Okay, that's my private place. Don't say privacy. Well, it's implied. Okay, well, let's keep going. The Fourth Amendment, that's the one where they say, you know, uh, unreasonable search and seizure. Okay, okay. You built a whole lot of jurisprudence about that. You can't arrest me. And if you arrest me, you say, this is Miranda. You have the right to remain silent. Okay, what that? Oh, Fourth Amendment. Okay, well, okay, our privacy right. You say, well, keep going, keep going. The Fifth Amendment. That's that due process amendment. The Equal Protection Amendment. That's federal, which is why when they said that they violated due process, if you violate due process in the District of Columbia, the colony known as the District of Columbia, because we ain't got no senators, ain't got no congresspeople, but you got to pay taxes and they will go to war if they draft you. 
No taxation without representation. That's some bullshit. DC, Puerto Rico. Oh, come on now. Guam, verse now. Come on, come on now. Y'all know that's some bullshit. But the point is this. The Fifth Amendment, you have to evoke the Fifth Amendment for due process there because the, before there was a 14th, the Fifth applied to the Federal District of Columbia, and which is why even you see the housing discrimination cases, Charles Houston and them, uh, who argued those cases. You know, Those cases had to be brought under the Fifth Amendment for D.C. Okay, very good. So when you put that together, First, Second, Third, Fourth, Fifth, and Ninth Amendments, they call that in terms of the possibility to a right of privacy in the Ninth Amendment. Is evoked, they end up calling that a penumbra. What the hell is a penumbra? Well, technically, a penumbra is like a shadow. What is a shadow got to do? What is a penumbra? Well, that means that there is an implied right to privacy in the Constitution, but it's not written. No, but we interpret the right that is shadowed. In all those other rights, what's behind the right to freedom of speech? What's the behind the right to not have the police come in and live in your house, the military live in your house in peacetime? What's behind the right they got to have a warrant? What's behind the right that you had the right to remain silent? Privacy. Oh, okay. Boy, I showed you love that Negro. Boy, I showed you love that white woman. Hold on. Marriage is regulated by the states. Yeah, not the federal government. Okay. And in Virginia, damn it, you can't marry no Negro. Sorry, white man, because you know we'd help you if we could, brother. But you can't. Why? It's bad for society. In our movement and memory, we have created this whole notion that white, black women, you should have sex with them anytime you want. <laughs> but if you bring her out in the daytime with a ring on her finger, you have diminished whiteness. And that we cannot forgive. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, well, damn. <laughs> okay, well, how are we going to get around this? We're going to go to the federal government. But in order to go to the federal government, you're not in the District of Columbia. You can't use five. That's going to have to wait to the Civil War. Why? Because up until the Civil War, you had no amendments that renegotiated the terms of this joint. And let's go right to it. Because <laughs> here we go. Here we go. What happened with the Civil War? Oh, this is the fun thing about it. In fact, it sent me back to my huge stash. You know, I got all the law books and all the, I was rereading this book. This is a very interesting book. It was published about 10 years ago called Infinite Hope and Finite Disappointment. The story of the first interpreters of the 14th Amendment. Elizabeth Riley edited this. Uh, this is University of Akron Press. Very interesting. And the whole book is about what the 14th Amendment meant when it was passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Because the Civil War Amendments are of course, 13, 14, and 15. The first 10 amendments to the United States uh, Constitution are called the Bill of Rights, right? So the early adjustments they made before 13, ending enslavement, unless you commit a crime, sorry, Negroes. Number 11, states can't be sued. Why y'all do that? Come on, man. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta protect our exposure here because you know this criminal whole criminal enterprise was set up by settler colonialism which was about extracting value and part of extracting value is having people to extract the value which means labor which is why professor under your student is pressing it and marking that point and using that abortion controversy and case and decision or imminent decision to observe something that is at the heart of the criminal enterprise called united states of america which is with the extraction of value by exploiting labor and what you don't want people to do is go around willy-nilly trying to rock the foundations of this criminal enterprise structure you set up. So number 11 is states cannot be sued. Number 12, 
deals with presidential elections. Let's read number 12 very quickly. I'm sorry, y'all. We're giving a whole law school class in 20 minutes. Somebody asked me about this. Okay, well, let's just do it right quick. 11 says the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity or commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. You can't sue the United States of America, presidential elections, or any state. The electors, this is the Electoral College. What? Yeah. Why? There was a problem unforeseen by the founders, political parties. Well, they ain't had Democrats and Republicans. No, not that way, not the way we think about them now. Parties come and go, the Whig Party, Democrat Republicans. Thomas Jefferson, what the hell are you political? Well, they hadn't really foreseen that. And see, the original plan called for people with the highest majority of electoral votes to become president and the person with the second highest number of votes to become vice president. Wait, well, shit, how would that work? Oh, Joe Biden will be the vice president. Donald Trump will be, hold on, man. Let's amend this shit. What did that Swedish group say? The winner takes it all. The loser standing small. <laughs> anyway, let, we anticipate political part. So now they amend it. That's the 12th Amendment on presidential elections. This is how we got this mess we in now in part. You know, well, the people get to decide. No, it was too much democracy. We're coming for it. We're going to bring this to, we're going to almost speed this up in a second. And here come the Civil War. Sam Alito, ancestors in Italy at this time. But somehow, somehow in the boot, Samuel Alito's ancestors must have gotten wind of a little song they began to sing in those days of the Civil War in the South. Oh, I wish I were in the land of cotton. Old times there are not forgotten. Look away, look away, look away, Dixie land. Because Sam Alito damn sure must have been listening to Dixie when he drafted in February 2022. Die versus Jackson Women's Health. Because he keep talking about the roots of our customs and traditions. Our customs, you wasn't even here. But you have come into a movement in memory that has a violence of forgetting and you must have forgotten the reason they passed 13, 14, and 15. 13, abolishing enslavement, unless you commit a crime. 14, establishing due process and equal protection under the law. Why? Because the Fifth Amendment, we got to now fix what Roger Taney messed up. Taney created two citizenships. We're going to recombine them in 14. Because that protection in the Fifth Amendment applies to the states too. Taney, racist. Uh, well, a Negro, uh, a person is a citizen of the United States and of the states they're in. I know you're Negro, Dred Scott and Harriet Scott. I know you're Negroes and where you were, they didn't have slavery, but now you're back in a slave state. But guess what? That's irrelevant. You are in the United States. And there ain't no rights in the United States a Negro has that we are obliged to enforce. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like that, didn't you, boy? <laughs> so fast forward a decade after the damn country splits apart and they fighting. 1868, 11 years, passed that 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment, let's just read it. Let's read 14. Come on, son. All right. Proposed June 13th, 1866, ratified July 9th, 1868, all persons born and naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Trying to fix Dred Scott. 
No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities. Oh, it's an important clause. Shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Meaning what? Them first 10 amendments, they apply to you too. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Nor deny to any persons within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Equal protection. Wait, that means that if you got rights and I don't have those same rights because I'm black, I could sue? Yeah, because you get equal protection. Okay, what about me? I'm a woman. Do I have the same right? Yeah. Well, I want to terminate this pregnancy. Hold on. See, men can't even get pregnant, so I should be a protected class. Sam Alito thought about that in that draft. You read Dobbs. He says, nah, that ain't enough. It ain't enough that you're women. You can't say that this is discriminated against you because you're a woman. The only way you can say that is if there was some type of animus and people were punishing you because you were a woman. I'm like, boy, what happened to your movement in memory? And you Catholic too? You must have forgot how women are viewed in your own theology. Oh, I'm sorry, there's an establishment clause. So religion is, is no form of religion in the United States. Wait a minute, because I read you were in the majority in Hobby Lobby, right? And what about that uh, that, cake, that case that where the man didn't want to bake the cake for the send the cake to the gay couple? I mean, you, you got real problems, don't you, Sam? I understand, I understand. Let's not even get into that. But the point is this, sex is not a protected class in that way. And so what the 14th Amendment says is you can't deprive people of their rights without due process and people must get equal protection under the law. But what the courts have done is interpret the 14th Amendment and how that amendment applies. Let's just finish it up. Of course, the 15th Amendment, the so-called right to vote. So what does it do collectively? Let's talk about that for a moment. The three constitutional amendments, the so-called Civil War Amendments, or maybe even some people might call them the second founding amendments. Uh, Eric Foner just wrote a book called The Second Founding. People say, oh, Eric Foner has coined this term. No, he didn't. I mean, you can even go back as just a few years to Infinite Hope and find a disappointment where they talk about the whole notion of a second founding. Why? Because 13, 14, and 15 do this. The three constitutional amendments we're talking about could have fundamentally altered the 1787 Constitution. Why? The 13th remakes legal humanity. Huh? What does that mean? That means all you Negroes chopping that cotton and indigo and picking all that stuff and corn and all the tobacco and all this. <laughs> yeah, y'all citizens now. I'm sorry, y'all not slaves no more. We not slaves? Well, damn. Well, what are we? Well, you're freed. Okay, am I a citizen? No, not, not, well, no. Am I a slave? No, no. You know. Well, well, what am I? You're a person. Yeah, but oh, so I'm a legal person. Can I vote? No, you know, we ain't got there yet. Well, how the hell did you even come up with a 13th Amendment to pass? Well, in order to pass it, we had to kill a bunch of people. And all them states that left, we can't let them back in unless they ratify it. And, uh, well, y'all help us with that. Well, how the hell am I going to help you? Well, you live in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, you know, Louisiana. You live in Florida. But, uh, we need you Negroes. Shit, they can't vote. Okay, you know what? We're going to occupy these states and we're going to need y'all to help us. And until we get some more legislation, we're going to pass some things to protect your rights. Civil Rights Act of 1866. Civil Rights Act, which is still good law in the books. That's the one we talked about when we first met President Hunter, right? Byron, Byron Allen using, you know, trying to get us a point of entry saying, you, 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 in other words, you have the right to be treated as a white man. Oh, damn. It's pretty good. 
So I slapped the shit out of this white man. You know, y'all ain't gonna put me in jail. Well, I don't know if I said that. Yeah, you did. You said I get to be treated. You wouldn't put a white man in jail. No, I'm gonna start slapping the shit out. Well, because the wait, where are you going? Well, we're gonna withdraw the troops. Well, that's a little bit later. All right. 13, you're not slaves no more. This is Catherine Frankie's point. Catherine Frankie said, at the point of the 13th Amendment, at the point of really the Civil War, when you were taking, you should have gave that land to the black people and you could have renegotiated the terms of this whole policy. That should have been the basis of reparations. And everybody talking about reparations now, there's a fundamental myth-making assumption that many of these folks are making, unfortunately. I'm talking about the lineage people, foundational black Americans, ADOS. There's one piece of that argument that's really absurd generally. And I don't want to say absurd too strongly. And hard. I mean, by absurd, I mean, it doesn't, it flies in the face of history and logic and experience. It is the assumption that you live in a nation. You've bought into the national myth-making. If you think some people who have never given you anything going to suddenly think they owe you something because y'all got the same, you you waving the same flag they waving. <laughs> Them people don't believe. You really think that you're going to make a reparations claim based on being an American when you was never an American? Now, I understand legally, but we're talking about extra legal kind of things here. We're talking about concepts now. But anyway, I'm not going to dissuade them because who knows, you know, maybe they'll get it. All right. The 13th Amendment, in other words, opens the door by remaking legal humanity. Then the 14th Amendment comes along and alters the balance of the power between the polities. You got states, you got the federal polity. The 14th Amendment alters the relationship. Roger Taney puts his foot on the gas because Negroes are at the center of this and Negroes are disposable. Has these two citizenships he teases out and establishes the 14th Amendment comes on and says, hold on, no, 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 no. And in doing that, there is the idea that somehow, particularly for these racists in these states, in the South in particular, but not exclusively, that you're taking something from the state. Well, we kind of are taking something from the state. The 14th Amendment is going to make us, make the federal government have to enforce a kind of supervisory role, which is why you always talk about people, you deprive me of my rights, due process. Well, yeah, that's the 14th Amendment. It now applies to the states, which means there is a renegotiation of the relationship, the power relationship between the states and the federal government. And that's at the heart of Dobbs and everything else, because these people want to be able to do what the hell they want. And where you came out of your mother's womb should not determine what rights you have. What? Well, wait a minute. Can you terminate a pregnancy? In Maryland, yeah. New York, yeah. Texas, no. Alito writes in Dobbs that our root, the roots of our history, the roots of our culture, the roots of our national memory shows that people were against abortion. Because most of the states before the civil at by the end of the Civil War, when the 14th Amendment was passed, prohibited abortion. What Murray writes in her uh, rewrite of the Roe case in critical race judgments is at the time of Roe, the challenge to Roe was by a woman from Texas, in Texas. That law against abortion in Texas has been on the book since 1854. In 1854, the women of African descent in Texas were not human. And if anything, terminating a pregnancy, which is as old as humanity, 
reading Barracoon and reading the materials around Barracoon, even talking about the type of medicinal interventions and herbal interventions and use of plants that the Africans brought here to the Western Hemisphere, including on that boat called Cotilda the Mobile. Because remember on Monday night, we talked about the healers of Mobile and that whole genealogy of healing to this day that comes out of those Africans. They knew how to terminate a pregnancy by telling you which route that you are, which leave, which tea to make. Wait, they were terminating pregnancies before? Yeah. Why? Now you get into the philosophical argument. Now you get into the ways of knowing argument. And though we're never going to all agree on those things, but please understand the idea of terminating a pregnancy did not begin in the United States of America. And that it has been global in different contexts, different situations, people who have completely different opinions. But that's not what we're doing this morning. What we are doing is just looking at the underlying issue that is really being raised by this white nationalist court that's getting ready to try to run a Boston and then, among other things, preserve white minority rule in this country. We're coming forward now. Okay, here we go. Altering the balance between the states and the federal government, the 14th Amendment does that, extending this kind of watchdog law. Now, almost immediately after the 14th Amendment is passed, the federal courts start clawing back that supervisory dimension. Because imagine what the 14th Amendment could do if judges decided they're going to stay out of it and let them do what they do. But we'll come back to that in a second. We're almost done. The 15th Amendment extends and protects the ability to remake the state. At least one tool, which is voting. If the 15th Amendment protects your quote-unquote right to vote, there's no right to vote. Eh, if you're going to have an election, federal election, yes, there's a right. Okay, time, place, and manner. In fact, let's just read the 15th. Let me get my pocket constitution. Go to 15 in this. We've done this before, but I'm just doing it right now because, again, what's being raised here, it says abortion, but it's something else going on. Section 1 of the 15th Amendment. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Section 2, the Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Uh, section 2 the uh, was where they got the Voting Rights Act. The Voting Rights Act, however... The Voting Rights Act has been interpreted by the courts in Shelby County versus Holder. Shout out, John John. Shout out, Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy, in the oral arguments for Shelby County versus Holder 2013, Johnny Boy is saying to his people, well, things have improved in the South. Yes, you would know, Mr. Chief Justice, being a Negro yourself. I, wait, you're not a Negro. You see all this evidence we brought in here that things have changed and things have not changed in the same time? Yes, but I think that you really don't need to have all this pre-clearance uh, before the vote. No. So once you kick the teeth out, what do the states do? The states get to travail on something that they shouldn't have any business because who gets control of the time, place, and manner of federal elections? The federal government. But somehow the feds got timid. And understand at the heart of the criminal enterprise called the United States of America is a structure we've talked about many times that we just saw the authority for. Look at that. 11th Amendment, uh, 12th Amendment, you've got this electoral apparatus set up where if you came out of your mother's womb in Wyoming, your legal citizenship and right to vote is worth dozens of times more than if you came out of your mother's womb in California. Why? Because Wyoming gets two senators and California gets two senators. But it's a billion people in California and two in Wyoming. But you get two senators, you get two senators. How in the hell are you ever going to have a federal legislature that will either generate enough votes to create a new constitutional amendment, ask the Equal Rights Amendment folk who never got enough votes to get it ratified by ratification in the states, or 
put in a situation where even if you eke out a narrow victory, they got rules of the Senate that aren't in the Constitution that corporations, among others, buy people like Joe Manchin to say, I ain't never going to get rid of the filibuster. Of course you're not, Joe. You've been paid pretty dollars to do that, you and Krista Cinema. Because even if you get one more person or get a tie, you've clawed your way with your Article 2 legislative branch to a tie in the Senate and the executive can break the make break the tie if you've got the person there. First of all, they set up the electoral cause that if you can suppress the vote at the state level, because who gets to set time, place, and manner of federal election the federal government? But the states are intervening and you scared of the federal courts? You scared of going to court? No, we passed legislation, but the courts have interpreted to say, leave them states alone. They can pass reasonable restrictions like voter ID and things like that. Why? Because that's not a restriction. That's just enhancing security because there's voter fraud. Ain't no voter fraud. Look, man, I'm a judge. I was been in the federal society since the beginning. And as Dick Durbin, <laughs> I forget, what was it Dick Durbin said? Dick Durbin, when uh, 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 Kavanaugh was getting confirmed to the D.C. Court of Appeals, took him three years. Dick Durbin sent out of Illinois. like, Mr. Mr. Kavanaugh, you, sir, are like the Zelig or the well, where is Waldo of the Republican Party? Every controversy you seem to have been present. You were there in Gore, Bert Bush versus Gore. You were there. I mean, you, 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 you just then came up through this, which is why when he got there to be confirmed on the Supreme Court and they came out with very credible and real. In fact, there's a brand new book by Jackie Combs called Dissent, the radicalization of the Republican Party and its capture of the court, where she walks through. Uh, this reporter for the time, watched, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, walks through all the evidence they ignored when they didn't do an investigation the FBI, but they had to try to pretend to do an uh, investigation because women and others were calling bloody murder on Brett Kavanaugh. And she walks through all the things. That, but when he got these, I'm so close, I can smell it. You know, I've been, they've been grooming me for 20 some years to get on this court and run this Boston. And y'all going to hold me up because of how I treated women. Don't you understand how we treat women? Oh, you don't understand. Hey, you're going to find out. But in between, <laughs> I like lifting weights with my friends and I was drinking beer. <laughs> and I don't remember. Uh, no, I never pulled my. There are 150,000 people that were at that party. Man, we're going to investigate now. Uh, yes. Were you, were you there? Okay, we're not going to talk to you. Thank you. Oh, we've completed our investigation. He's good to go. <laughs> the point is, now he's here. He's going to be in this majority. You say, I know what's best for a woman's womb. They say, well, we're not going to get into the theoretical argument, the religious argument. We don't even talk about that. But they have enough to run the Boston on whatever their terms are because of the legal arguments behind it. Now, we're coming in for a landing. What are the factors that influence the power to alter the rules? Well, the, at the structural level of the federal level, it's executive, legislative, and judiciary. We know that. At the structural level of the state, it's executive, legislative, and judiciary. But the states retain all rights that aren't part of the federal government. And then the organic formations are the people, the people who live in the states, either as individuals or as groups. As we say, individuals don't be institutions. So you got to come together with enough people if you want to challenge this. Front page of today's New York Times. Uh, is this today's? Yeah, top of the, uh, above the fold. Fearing backlash, GOP is quiet on abortion. What? Yeah, because guess what? A majority of people, as we as we know, in this country are in favor of a woman's right to choose whether to terminate a pregnancy. Not without limits, but how many people are having what they call late-term abortions? 
that number is tiny compared to people who have abortions or who terminate pregnancies, however you want to characterize it in the first couple of months. Are you for it? Or are you against it? That's not the point. The majority of people in the country are for women having that ability to do it. But you can't look at the majority of people in this country as the people. We the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You fix that. You fix that in number 12. We the people at the beginning. Did y'all keep reading? Oh, we read the preamble. Yeah, yeah. Pass the preamble. I know they made you memorize that. And they had schoolhouse rock, which is why I can repeat it. But you, yeah, but you know, let's keep going. Go down in them amendments. Now, pass the first 10. That's cool. Y'all talk about freedom of speech and second amendment. Get to 11, 12, 13. Get, get to 11 and 12, the ones they passed before the 13th amendment, because we skip over here. You see that 12th amendment? Yeah. That's why you can have a majority of people in this country who are who are for a woman's right to choose to terminate a pregnancy in some form or another, but have a court that could say you ain't got no right in the constitution as we come in for land. That's where I'm going to end with this in, in a second. And how do they get on the court? Well, the president appointed them. Yeah, how the president appoint them? The president lost the popular vote. Yeah, but see, your vote don't count as much in California. Your vote in Wyoming only counts for a couple of electoral votes, or three, you know, because you got a congressman in the same number. Okay, yeah, but then when you add up all them little states, and then in those other places where you might be able to get enough people to put somebody else in, in your Senate, or we're going to suppress your vote because we got a Supreme Court that can get close enough to steal to kick the teeth out of any federal protections that you thought that 15th Amendment was going to protect your ass. And you don't even really use the 15th Amendment. I think the most prominent 15th Amendment case to reach the Supreme Court to say you gerrymandered all these Negroes out of the district, of course, is Dr. Gamillion, Gamillion versus uh, Wainwright in um, mm, 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 Lightfoot, Gamillion, Dr. Gamillion in Tuskegee. They usually use the 14th Amendment, equal protection and due process. Because there's a voting protection clause in the 14th Amendment. We only we didn't go through the uh, the sections of the 14th Amendment other than that first language. But that's another story for another day. I won't get too deep into the legal weeds of this. But the point I'm trying to make is this. The structural arrangement makes it very difficult for the people in the United States, the majority of people in the United States, to ever put something in place as long as it is forestalled by those people whose votes count more depending on where they are born. And many of those states don't have even a plurality of non-white people. North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Iowa, Wyoming. Wait, damn, Oregon. Tell me, we got, like, no, important. Nah, ain't enough for y'all. When you combine all them together, it's enough to get it close enough so that in the Senate with this filibuster rule, they ain't never got to pay. And you ain't got to worry about amending the Constitution. Mind you, in Texas right now, Oh, shovel mouth Greg Abbott, that racist is pulling out every stop. Why? Because Beto O'Rourke, and let me just read it. Let me just read it. Uh, is it in here? Oh, it might be in the, actually, it might be in the Wall Street Journal. It might have been in the journal. Let me see if it is in the journal. I'll read it quickly. If, it's, if I can't find it quickly, I will not. Yeah. All right, here we go. Yeah. Same Thursday, if memory serves me correctly, because y'all know. I read the paper every day. The days blur together, but I think I might be able to find it. If I can't find it, I'll just note it in four, three, two, one. Ha, found it. Here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, in Texas, Democratic candidate Beto O'Rourke has campaigned extensively on the issue all week. 
He, is, he streamed a conversation between himself and Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood and daughter of former Democratic Governor Ann Richards, has tweeted about it more than a dozen times and soliciting fundraising based on pro-abortion rights positions. His opponent, Republican incumbent Greg Abbott, hasn't mentioned it in is the issue in campaign statements or on social media this week. In a talk radio interview, he criticized the leak and called on the Supreme Court to move up the release of its decision currently expected in June. All right. Now, why do I bring that up? Are you pro-abortion, anti-abortion? That ain't the question. The question is, in a polity, in a, in a country, do you believe that what you believe should be imposed on other people? That's the underlying question. The handmaiden believes, yes, I should impose my will on you because I got the numbers now. We're going to run this Boston. Many folk, like me or any number of you, say, look, I'm a man. I can't make that decision. Now, the idea of terminating a president, when does life begin? I'm a person of African descent who sits with, thinks through, listens to, never shuts off the possibilities of Africana ways of knowing. When does life begin? My question would never be when does life begin? My question would be if it was a question at all, which I have satisfactorily answered for myself, it doesn't. But here's the question that I would ask, not when does it begin, when does it end? It doesn't end in my mind. In other words, we came here from somewhere. We're going back to that place. Now, that's my belief. That's knowledge by faith or knowledge by opinion. The idea of empirical fact would be imported from the West in too many ways, even though empirically I can say to myself, there are too many things that happen. I won't call them coincidences. I know ancestors, God, and I know some of them ancestors come back in the bodies of babies. So if you ask me my opinion on abortion, I'm like, what, what, what framework are we using? When life begins at conception. Okay, you and them Western people that think that life ends. So the death is that what you I'm going to heaven. Yeah, you're going to heaven with that God that I will never pray to because you use that God to try to lynch me. And you're going to find out when you get on the other side. So my point is that we're not even if we talk about governance, we have another framework. Sam Alito has written his theology into Dobbs. Sam Alito even goes so far. Let me just quote a couple of things that we in. Sam Alito has written in Dobbs. He got a footnote in there. Let me see if I can find it right quick. It might be footnote, footnote 47. Wait till, I want to make sure that we all clear about where I'm going with this because I want to tie it all together again. This is, we didn't mean to have a civics lesson, but we needed to do this. In fact, let me, let me, let me pause here and just go to the Dobbs case to bring this together. But I'll make, I'll make the point I was going to make about Alito very quickly. Alito writes in here, that there are arguments to be made that he says there are people who argue. Well, in fact, no, no, I need to quote this. I need to quote it exactly. Let me see if I could find it quickly. Uh, let me see. Yeah, it is footnote 41. Let me go to footnote 41. I love this opinion. I love these guys, man. See what happens when you when you don't have an investment in the criminal enterprise, when they fight like this, you're not looking at it from the perspective of, oh, our country. No, we're looking at it from the perspective of we talk about how do it free us? And what we're saying is now people saying, well, I shouldn't vote. No, you should think about this. People are finally figuring out, well, let me go here. Uh, page 31, 32, 31, 30, 30, page 30. Here we go. No, no. Uh... Is it footnote 41 or page 41? All right, give me another 10 seconds and I'll, I'll read it from, I jotted it down because, go ahead, no, go ahead. Footnote 41, I believe. Is it? Which what, what do you see? What does it say? Well, someone in the chat in Nubia said it's footnote 41. Richard Sheffield, you better be right. Come on, Richard. 
Yes, that's right, Richard. That's right. Look here. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Richard. You're right, brother. I want to chat. Right. See, see. All right. Everybody who is not yet in Nubia, I know some of y'all like, should I go ahead? Some of y'all, I ain't never going. Okay, look, please understand what we doing in Nubia. <laughs> you gonna find out. Anyway, other thank you. Other amicus briefs present arguments about. Now he quoting amicus to begin with. So he's looking at amicus briefs means friend of the court briefs. They they not a they not a party. They just writing their opinions and sending them into the court. And as Angie Porter would tell you, they read amicus briefs. And by they, I don't mean necessarily the justices. I mean the clerks. Angie Porter was a federal clerk a couple of times. Now you want to know who's writing these art these uh, opinions? Who's drafting these opinions? You better look at the clerks. Anyway, number 41. Thank you. Other amicus briefs present arguments about the motives of proponents of liberal access to abortion. They note that some of such some such supporters have been motivated by a desire to suppress the size of the African-American population. See, brief for Amika Currier, African-American, Hispanic, Roman Catholic, and Protestant religious and civil rights organizations and leaders of supporting petitioners, pages 14 to 21. See also Box versus Planned Parenthood of Indiana and uh, Kentucky, 139, Supreme Court, 1780, 1783 to 84, 2019, Thomas dissenting from the denial of Cerciari. Okay. All, all those numbers are basically the page numbers and the volumes that you're looking for. And it is beyond dispute that, watch this, watch this, watch this. Watch Sam Alito. Now, you see what he's saying there, footnote 41. Some of these people who are saying that you should have liberal access for abortion, they're arguing that some people who support that have been motivated by trying to decrease the number of black people. Y'all should have abortions. Okay. Here, Alito editorializes. Here's the sentence. And it is beyond dispute. It's beyond dispute that Roe has had that demographic effect. A highly disproportionate percentage of aborted fetuses are blacks, are black. You, <laughs> true. And so what you see in this country is because so many pregnancies of uh, black children have been terminated, you've seen the number of black people in this country continue to decrease. And wait, <laughs> wait, what this motherfucker? And it is beyond dispute. The hell are you talking about, Sam or Sam's clerk? Bruh, there is speculation that this draft was leaked so that it could be workshop to get rid of the stupid stuff. That it wasn't. Somebody saying, I support a woman's right to choose. I'm going to leak this. But somebody said, are we going to run a Boston? Let's just make sure the language is not so offensive. You never know. John John got an investigation. He got a whole ass fellow Supreme Court justice whose wife tried to overthrow the damn government. And the only dude who voted to, to keep Trump out of hot water regarding to documents. And he won't investigate that. But he damn sure going to investigate the leak because he's worried about the prestige of the court. I'm worried. You know, that, that Susan Collins frown, John Roberts be wearing. I'm concerned about the legitimacy of the court. Sam Alito. Let me give you another one. Sam Alito, and somebody in Nubia helped me because I'm going to do, because you know, I don't be on the keyboard on this, but I'm going to try to do a, let me do if I could do a command search and look in for Brown. Yep. Let me see. Sam Alito is worried about the legitimacy of the court too. 
But what does he say? Hold on. I'm not going to be able to find it. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Texas versus. Okay, I'm not going to find it. Anyway, it'll come. It, it, maybe somebody knows, but let me see if I sketched it down because I might have written it down because I thought this was hilarious. Alito. Alito says, don't worry about the legitimacy of the court. He says, public opinion should not influence our decisions. Okay. And then in parentheses, he puts CF, period, Brown versus Board of Education. All. I love you, Lito, because you say it with your little bird chest. I ain't mad at you, Sam. Sam? Why? He said public opinion should not influence our decisions. And then he puts in parens, CF, that means contrafactual, meaning here's a case in opposite of what I just said, Brown versus Board of Education. So if that's the opposite of what you just said, did public opinion influence the justices in Brown and the opinion of Sam Alito? Yeah. Well, hold on, bro. You don't mean Brown was wrongly decided, were you? That's stare decisis. Stare decisis means that is the opinion of the court, longstanding opinion of the court. It is precedent, and we should not overturn it, or we should, if we're going to overturn it, we should revisit it. Revisit it carefully. And here's the whole point. Abortion is no more divisive topic. But here's the underlying point. And here's the thing that's got people scared shitless in law schools and law professors and people understand the law and now all of us here's the thing that's just get the hell out of you given this whole long winding road we've been down mcconnell gorsuch stolen seat at his confirmation beer kavanaugh at his confirmations and the handmaid comey barrett at her confirmation what's your opinion on roe versus my opinion on Roe versus Wade is it is settled law and established law. What's your opinion on Roe versus Wade? Do you honestly think I'm going to tell you the damn truth even though I'm under oath? Them oaths don't mean a damn thing. I took an oath to a higher God and a higher power and I'm going to tell you every day hell I need to tell you to get on this. I was in the damn frat house with my pants down and my whole penis on the side of somebody's head and I'm, that ain't going to stop me, you damn third. You think I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do? In his first term on the court, he overturned three precedents. He voted to overturn three precedents. Beer Kavanaugh. And now he's in the seat. Good. Here come the handmaid. I'm with you, baby. Let's get this precedent. So Sam Alito, they're going to look, starry decisis, that's just some words. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Understand that the precedent, here's where Alito is arguing in this draft that you can overturn this precedent. You can overturn this precedent. He says, he says this, in fact, on the fifth page of the opinion. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Now, let's go back to about 30 minutes ago. Wait a minute. You got this penumbra. He's a hit penumbra. Shit. Penumbra. The word ain't in there. And there are some things that the penumbra can imply. Yes. Okay. And the 14th Amendment says you have 
uh, protection, equal protection and due process in the law. You got privileges and immunities. Hold on. Alito is like, nah, chief. No. No. That is not the right to privacy isn't in the Constitution explicitly, which means we can go through all these cases which say right to privacy and decide on case by case basis whether or not. No, you can't do that. There's something in the there's something there's in, in jurisprudence and in, in kind of statutory interpretation as it relates to the constitution. They'll make a distinction between what is called substantive due process, 14th Amendment, and procedural due process. Let me use a plain example that is close enough, I hope, to the to, to, to how that works. Procedural due process, they're gonna fire your black ass, but they gotta give you a hearing. Substantive due process is at the hearing. They literally go through the evidence and make a substantive determination as to whether or not this is a reason for your termination was race. Now, what you've seen the courts do over the years is whittle down substantive due process to the damn near nothing. There have been cases in employment discrimination, for example, Title VII, the 1981 cases where you see somebody, I called you, the, I, you, you heard my supervisor call me the N-word, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they fired me. It was race. No, we're going to say that was personal animus. <laughs> he called me the whole yeah because he's because he don't like you yeah but it was racing in this draft alito is like y'all can't say stopping women from having they uh stopping women from being able to terminate a pregnancy is discrimination based on sex unless you prove it was with an animus toward women that animus shit <laughs> that's how they began after reconstruction to whittle down the 14th amendment United States versus Crushank, civil rights cases. They start saying, oh no, you, you damn near got to call somebody the N-word while you emptying your clip. And even then, <laughs> you ain't guaranteed. You almost really got to lean on somebody's neck for damn near nine minutes. But the whole point is that it is so difficult. Now imagine now, this is, but this is the thing that should scare people. What should scare people, in fact, let me just go to the uh, page here. Let me go here because the second footnote that Alito uses here, let me go to footnote two, which is on page two. He says, one prominent constitutional scholar wrote that, quote, that he, quote, would vote for a statute very much like the one the court ended up drafting, end quote, if he were, quote, a legislature, unquote, legislator, quote, unquote. But his assessment of Roe was memorable and brutal. Roe was not constitutional law at all and gave almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. This is footnote two. Uh, that is actually... This scholar right here, this is probably the most influential, one of, if not the most influential book on constitutional law published in the last 50 years, Demog Democracy and Distrust, The Theory of Judicial Review, John Hart Eli, uh, Ely, Professor Ely. But he quotes Ely's famous law review article, The Wages of Crying Wolf, a comment on Roe versus Wade, 82, volume 82, Yale Law Journal, pages 920, 926, and 947 from 1973, the year Roe versus Wade was decided, John Hart Ely wrote an article that is widely known among legal scholars for making the case. And the reason they like quoting this is because Ely was pro-choice. But Ely has a theory of constitutional uh, interpretation, statutory interpretation that says this. The people should decide the law, not the courts. So he said, this Roe versus Wade opinion, it's a hell of an opinion. And I probably would have drafted something very similar if I were a member of the legislature. But you're not a member of the legislature. You are the courts. 
And because you are the courts, you should leave this to the legislature. Now, Ely on the other side would say, however, when you're reading the Constitution, there are certain protections that must be uh, uh, enforced to allow people to participate in the political process. Among those are the right to vote. So you should not suppress the right to vote. Ely would probably come down against Roberts and them in uh, Shelby County versus Holder because Congress passed that legislation, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. What are you doing sticking your nose in saying racism isn't as bad? You know better than Congress? I told you to come. But on the other side, terminating a pregnancy? He said, that ain't in the Constitution. And you should stay out of it. Leave it to the states. And then Alito. Remember? when they were trying to steal the election and Alito intervened in that Pennsylvania case and told them to uh, segregate the ballots in case they had to revisit this at a later date because if it got close enough to steal, you better believe Sam Sam was going to vote to throw out them Pennsylvania revolts if he could get to it. When you read those cases that when they when they rocket docket it to, this, to the court when Trump was trying to stop the election. But Alito, quoting Ely, Haha, we got you now, baby. Because you have to understand that, uh, and, and this is this is something I'm just giving y'all some. There are trigger laws in 13 states. We know what a trigger law is. 13 state legislatures, including Texas, have passed laws to say when Roe versus Wade. They say if, but they really meant when, because this is a long-term project. When Roe versus Wade is overturned, within a month, it is a felony to terminate a pregnancy in the state of Texas. What? So yeah. And if a doctor does it, life in prison. Whoa. So when that shovel mouth bastard and the, and, and the governor and the damn Texas legislature passed that law, the Mississippi law is the one we're talking about now. We're just saying it's criminal to terminate pregnancy after 15 weeks. By the way, it's not just roll thereafter. It's Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And that's the one that uh, Alito dismantles in this dissent by saying, and not only did the court say that they got that you attach this role to a right to privacy that doesn't exist that doesn't exist, you then, in Casey, went on to a firm role and you judges came up with this trimester bullshit. What is this trimester? The first, second, third, third, y'all y'all doctors, man. First of all, y'all say y'all legislature. In other words, on, his, on the legal argument, I'm gonna tell you right now, there are a lot of lawyers who are pro-choice, a lot of legal scholars who are pro-choice, read this draft and was like, well, it's not in the constitution. Is it in the penumbra? Mm, you can you imply that for abortions yeah. is it in the 14th amendment because if you they didn't kill uh, substance due process so i mean you can't say equal protection this ain't a protected class i mean i gotta have is rational basis it's not strict scrutiny like race yeah well no oh y'all better look out and here's where the thing gets scary because if you're gonna send this back to the states you could say no terminating the pregnancy then they look around and say and i don't like gays marrying they have a right to privacy. No, marriage is the state. Yeah, but Prop 8, Doma case, that's settled of stare decisis. These boys then told you they're going to run a Boston and girls, they're going to run a Boston. Meaning they don't give a damn about stare decisis. They're going to say the underlying rationale for overturning a line of precedent is that it was wrongly decided from the beginning. And you know what this troll did? What, and it's in footnote 47, what Alito did is list all the cases where, many of the cases where they overturned previous precedents. And, and Professor Hunter, come on back as we close. You know the first case they mentioned. 
You ain't got to think too hard about it. We all know. What was the first case Lido mentioned where he said this was wrongly decided then and we corrected it later? What's the one that involves us? It's the one case all black people know from the 19th century. Not Plessy, no. Uh, yes, yes, Plessy. That's what I'm saying. You was thinking too hard. He said, see, in Plessy, it was wrong from the beginning. Now, mind you, let's talk about Plessy just for a split second. I ain't going to do a long one on this just very quickly. Homer Adolphus Plessy, who was one-eighth black. <laughs> I ain't mad at him, though. Uh, we went down. Every time I go to New Orleans, go to the place where they snatched Homer Plessy off that off that train after he outed himself because he had to out himself because he looked like a white man. Right? The point is this. The railroad lawyers by then had ascended to the Supreme Court. These are the same justices on the Supreme Court who decided that the 14th Amendment applied to corporations. <laughs> that ain't in the Constitution either. And that's the point of entry when, oh, so the fourth, so corporations have legal rights as people? Yeah. So that means the First Amendment applies to them? Yeah. That means you can spend $100 trillion to buy an election? Johnny Roberts and his majority say you could in Citizens United. You look at Shelby County, you may be looking at Citizens United, flooded the zone with money. Led in part to the disinformation campaigns that led to the people we had, that and voter suppression and apathy. But the point is that Plessy, a railroad case, part of the, much of the civil rights movement, although we attach Plessy to uh, Brown and Alito does it in this case saying, see, Plessy was wrongly decided and they got that right. Guess what? Roe was wrongly decided. That's one of the criteria. In fact, he gives in uh, in his rationale. Um, oh, I thought I put it down somewhere. He gives in his rationale yeah, five factors, which he says right, weigh strongly in favor of overturning Roe and Casey. The nature of the error the quality of reasoning, he says, undue burden. Hmm, I don't buy that. Substantial health risk. No, I don't buy that. Unnecessary health regulation. No, it doesn't rise to that level. He says, the workability of the rules they imposed on the country. So he goes after this trimester stuff, right? Disruptive effect on other areas of the law and the absence of concrete reliance. He said, the reasoning is terrible. It's like the Plessy reasoning was terrible. And so, so he, he's it's almost like he's trolling, except he's got to quote Plessy. They all quote Plessy for any reason they want and Brown and Plessy. But many of the cases that the civil rights movement relied on, Heart of Atlanta Motel, for example, things like that, you're dealing with interstate comments, commerce, the uh, freedom ride cases. Why you crawl, when you cross state lines, it becomes federal. Everybody knows that. He's just watching the movies and TV, right? But that allows them easier access to the 14th Amendment. Well, what they are going to argue arguing here is that this should be left to the state legislatures. And so, mm. but here's the thing they ain't telling you yet. But if you're reading the papers and watching the news, I ain't talking about watching the talking heads and opinion and all that shit, CNN and some, you know, I'm, I'm saying reading and understanding the other things that are going on. Lankford out of Oklahoma and Joni Ernst out of Iowa are reported to be working on legislation to introduce in the United States Senate to ban all the pregnancies at the federal level. Well, it just it'll just go to the states. See, that's y'all gotta be these people not playing news cycle to news cycle, as you say, because they're playing long game warfare. They mad because all you unwashed people in the lower classes and all you black people and brown people, all these y'all push back against them in the sixties and seventies as part of a global pushback against this larger structure we're talking about. And so they've been trying to claw back all this BS from the beginning of that 
pushback in the 60s, Barry Goldwater, and then the next cycles, and you get Nixon, you get Reagan, uh, and they are pointing these judges, pointing these judges, because they think that you're going to continue to bow down to what, uh, what's the guy's name at Yale? Oh, he wrote, he wrote an article in Dissent Magazine, summer of 2018, called the Supreme Court is Not Your Friend. If I get quiet in a minute, it'll come to me. He calls it justiceocracy. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. J- justiceocracy meaning you over rely on the judiciary to set the laws. He says overturning Roe may not be a bad thing. Samuel Moen. Samuel Moen. Thank you. M O Y N. That's right. Thank you, Samuel Moen. Right. A lot of people are using Moen to say, well, why do we vote? I mean, you know, Moen is like the court is irrelevant. I say, no, you don't know enough. See, that's why you pay tuition and go into debt or get scholarship like I did and go to law school. Why? Because if everybody could just read it in 10 minutes, then it went, no, you got to read a little bit more of Moen to understand the point Moen is making. The courts are relevant. The courts are dis- dispository in too many cases, in Moyen's case, and I agree with Moyen in that. However, the solution to that isn't not voting. The solution is getting in there in the political process and fighting back. So, but Ernst and Langston have been reported already working on draft legislation to ban it nationwide. There are trigger laws in 13 states that are going to ban it once Roe is overturned. Roe and Casey are overturned. And they're not going to stop there. Griswold versus Connecticut. Roe is built on a line that began to emerge that establishes right to privacy. Do you have a right to contraceptives in this country? Because Texas is going to ban the pill too. Oh, I'll just take the pill. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I don't like gays getting married. Maybe in my state, we'll ban it. You can't ban (laughs) We told you about this story, Decisis. Now, wait a minute. Where's that right? You said the 14th Amendment? Did you read Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization? Sam said it ain't no privacy right, and he got the votes now. Not as you characterize it. Now, he did say in here that interracial marriage and contraceptives and and same-sex marriage and all that, that's different. Abortion is different. Oh, yeah, that's just like the handmaid and Justice Beer and Justice uh, McConnell Gorsuch got up and said they wasn't going to deal with Why y'all listen to this man? Once they knock this down, and you can carry your gun into a McDonald's in Harlem, open carry, and you can use the state money to put your child in that racist ass private school in Maine. They don't want to Boston on y'all. Abortion, that's the subject today, but the underlying subject, the underlying subject is the nature of the relationship of people in this polity and preserving that structure that goes back to 1787 that they had a little window to deal with after the Civil War and had an option if they had made the the 14th Amendment stand up and salute to remake the project. But they missed that window. Negroes 100 years later fought their way into some semblance of resistance and they've been trying to claw it back ever since. And guess what? Major victory for them this week. Mm -hmm. We relaxed. We thought we thought we had Mm, they got a long view yes, and that, that uh, and I know you're right about the contra- contraception, uh, but as uh, several of my students pointed out, they take the pill not for birth control, but to regulate their cycles because they have, you know, problems, uh, really hard periods and the, and the pill helps them with that. Uh, Professor, Professor Hunter, please, please, please make 
please help people because I know they're going to be men like me not understand i was talking to holly Greenman yesterday about this very interesting he, he had a bunch of undergrad students some young people moving out of the dorms i love it when he holds court with young people because their eyes get big they just sitting there listening i'm my eyes big too i'm just he said he made that very important point he says one thing among the africans in the diaspora that we were forced to do that kind of africans weren't forced to do he said africans like me he's ethiopian he's talking to a couple of nigerians yesterday he said he's saying in africa we rely heavily on kinship blood kinship he said, but the Africans of the diaspora, because of enslavement, they created something that is spectacular. You don't have to be related by blood to be family. He said that came from the, those of us who got taken. You know what I'm saying? And he said, but when you go through rites of passage, because we were talking about gender and people going to college and where the boys, he said, one of the things we have to revisit is this question of how you become an adult. And of course, we've been reading about that in Barracoon. When Kasula's getting ready to get married, but they snatch him just before he doesn't get a chance. And we, but anyway, he says this, and this is why this is why what you're raising is so important. I think we need to understand, particularly brothers. What Holly said was women are forced because of nature to have a rite of passage. The first time you get your menstrual cycle, somebody gotta help you. It's not going he says, boys don't have a similar kind of thing. He said, so. What you see in a society, if you're not paying attention, how do you advance to adulthood along gendered lines when you don't have biology dictating at least some foundational moment when you have a bonding and the elders got to come in and help you through that? So please help us understand because people think this is about pregnancy. It's not. This is women's health. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, from girls not getting their cycle for a long period of time to girls bleeding for more days than they need to uh, biologically from the cysts that, that form on your ovaries and all that the pill helps with a lot of that regulation in the body, the, the chemistry of that. So, you know, this is way deeper than not, you know, but that's how primitive we have become. It's like caveman society where you, you're going to make decisions based on your, not your ignorance, on your thir thirst for power. That's right. It's thirst for power and control because you are inadequate in your life and you can't get the things you want through natural means. So you're going to force legislate it uh, and then somehow make that happen. But uh, I think it's going to backfire. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, Prof? Because this is what all the reporting is done. And I'm sure you've talked about this all week. Why are they quiet? They got they caught the car. What did the Joker say in Batman? I just do things. I, I, if I catch the car, I wouldn't know what to do with it. You caught the car. Yes. <laughs> Why are they quiet? We shall see. And I, I even suspect, though, Dr. Carr, because, you know, when we were having this conversation in my class yesterday, I'm like, so people in a room 50 years ago, not just 10 years ago, have been having these conversations much the way that room was assembled in Berlin to divvy up Africa. Because I, I put it all in the same framework, like they're constantly meeting in these conferences. I don't know whether it's the G8 conference. I don't know whether it's the Bilderberg conference. I don't know what conferences where they get in the room and have these conversations about what's going to happen next. But they already have prepared for this. And whoever leaked this, because there's a lot of conversation about the leakage. Uh, even Katanji Brown Jackson got caught up in that. I was like, Did you see that? She ain't even on the court yet, y'all. Stop playing. Stop it. Stop it. Y'all just they're trying to obfuscate. Look over here. Look over here. You know, but I suspect whoever leaked it was uh, germane to to the decision itself, and they believe that this is uh, a benefit to have leaked it. And and there's no, it's interesting. And maybe they know something. Maybe they know we won't really show up. 
And maybe they know then 2022, you know, the midterm elections, uh, even if we show up, it doesn't matter because they already gerrymandered and jerry-rigged the system. To win anyway, maybe, maybe this is one of those, you know, I'm going to put my thing on the table and let you know That's you right. have lost. That's so right. I, don't, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We we we, we will see. It. It's important to understand. Again, we're not debating what pr- abortion. We're talking about again. John Ely makes this point. He says unenumerated rights are procedural, not substantive. Meaning what? That means that I have a right to privacy. No, it's a procedural right. It's not substantive. And what Alito says in his draft is he says abortion is different than intimate social relations. Okay. That means same-sex marriage. That means sex and all this kind of thing. It's different than contraception. Bowers versus Harvey says it right there. It's in the penumbra, and it's different than marriage. So, as you said, uh, 1967, Loving versus Virginia. I don't believe a word he says. The minute you, this is the first time in our lifetimes, Prof. And like you said, we were children. We don't remember. But it's the first time in our lifetimes a basic right has been taken away. I mean, overtly taken away, not diminished, not nuanced, like voting. No, this one here, you don't have this right no more. Whoa, wait, 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 what just happened? Now we're setting a precedent. We're going to overturn some precedents. And you think you're scared. So I think they might be scared because, as Ely says, the right to vote is the right to participate in the process. If everybody voted, this might be a different, they may not even be able to gerrymander that out of existence. I mean, but but again, we're not talking about what you believe and don't believe. What we're talking about is, do you think your belief should dictate everybody else? And one thing, as you say, black people, if we're going to say liberal conservative, yeah, we typically more conservative, but we draw the line on morality as it comes to like racial discrimination, like you're, you're old racist, but I'm still going to bring you a plate. I don't want to see you in the street dead. Now, you if you come and mess with me, I'm going to give you that work. But what I don't want, in other words, let me say, I'm not going to terminate a prank. I wouldn't want to, to know, but I don't mm-hmm. have a right to tell you. you know? but this, this, the last 10 years of social media yes. have given people the right to believe they have the right to, to force you to believe what they believe. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So, so, I mean, it goes back to that question you asked about the brother that passed away, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a confidence in my belief is correct, and therefore I have the right to impose that on everybody else. And it's a scary place that we're in right now. I feel I don't feel safe. Let me just say that I don't feel secure in the ability to even move around this country freely. Well, you haven't left the country since COVID, right? Uh, I have. Exactly. My point is, <laughs> my point is, we live in the world. This and look. When Alito trolled Brown, we put that C out there. Passport, get your passport. Get your passport. Look, yeah, and look, I'm not they saying it in the chat, so I gotta hesitate. This is the thing. When Alito trolled Brown and he said public opinion should not affect the court, CF Brown versus Board. He knows. He knows this. Everybody knows that if you're paying attention, the advances we have made in any place in the world have been animated by our collective efforts. Brown was decided the way it was because the United States couldn't keep running out these races in a world where it's majority non-black and non-white and black people looking like, what the hell? You ain't doing business with us. You see my cousin? The minute you say my cousin, it scares the mess out of any country where black people are catching hell. The minute that happens, and Alito knows that. So everybody right here hiding under that flag saying, oh, we're going to, no, ain't no we. You know when that flag will stand up for you? 
when you start cheering for other flags in the Olympics, the political equivalent of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's when they say, oh no, come back. You, like any abused person in an abusive relationship. The minute you try to move out, <laughs> they I'll, I'll be good. I share, with, I share with you, you know, off my, you know, in these other places now, there's an awakening. Yes, there is. About Barbados. Yes. Talking about Jamaica, which just let the king and the queen and princes and what all the people know was not going to happen. Yes. There's a palpable awakening throughout oh. the diaspora about our kinship. Yes. Uh, is is heartening because I'm going to tell you, 15 years ago when I was in in this space, they jumped over me to get to the Europeans. That's not happening now. You saw that firsthand. Firsthand, them Europeans can wait. We're going to serve the sisters and brothers that, that are in front of us. And I feel like this, this is, uh, yeah, yeah, we got to lean into that, not away from it. And, and let's stop, you know, stop allowing the divisive uh, commentary uh, to, to enter in, whether we're talking about men versus women, you know, diasporic black people versus American. Like, let's, no. we are, you're feeding the beast that is here to eat you. Here to eat you. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. You. That's right. Let, let me mention a couple of books right quick. This Please. just this came out very uh this came out actually this year. This is from the University of West Indies Press. It's called Introduction to Reparation for Secondary Schools, Marine Shepherd and Gabrielle Hemmings. Why do I mention this little book? This book is not even a hundred pages long. It's 90, actually, it's exactly no, it's it's a hundred, it's 99 pages. But the reason I bring this book up is because everybody in here all the Nubians and all the folks who are from the Caribbean, you know, secondary school, the mean same thing in the U.S. is that these are high schools. This is a high school book on reparations for all the countries in the Caribbean and beyond. Introduction to reparations for secondary schools. Very important. Uh, um, Hemings is a graduate student in the U.K., Baba Aj. And Vereen Shepard is the so, is a director of the Center for Reparations Research at the University of West Indies. Good book to read. And then this book just came out. I got to track this brother down. Uh, Chris... Uh, Manjarpa. It's called Black Ghost of Empire, The Long Death of Slavery and the Failure of Emancipation. What he does is, it's fascinating. He talks about how, and you see this map here, it's what he called global emancipation. He talks about the different types of emancipation, but he starts with something that, you know, people have been talking about for years. And I, I'll never forget, you know, Minister Farrakhan many years ago, sitting there listening to him talk about this. You know, emancipation does not mean liberation. Emancipation means extended control. In other words, when you think about emancipation, you're talking about somebody who says, I own you or I control you. And so I will determine my relationship with you. Meaning what? I freed you. Wait, only that much. Apprenticeship. The Caribbean is going to, I freed you. Well, only that much. I'll give you the right to vote, but I might take it back. And I don't know. I so no, 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 no. You got to free yourself. Emancipation is a social structure word. A governance word is we do what we want. The minute you embrace that, that's the minute you see things change. Because this Dobbs versus Jackson women's health, just a man writing saying, I have the right to determine what women do with their bodies. Now I'm stopping. Speaking of women's bodies, uh, Dr. Sinyata Amin, her birthday's tomorrow, and it's Mother's Day, which is a social structure holiday. Happy Mother's Day. Every day we celebrate our mothers and every and day form and mothers that every are day transition like Mother Carr and oh, other yeah. We do that. We we definitely do. In fact, my man Tom Foster, who's associate dean at Howard, I hadn't seen him in two and a half years. He he uh, his mother made transition about a month after my mother, and that's the first time I saw him in person was yesterday at the ceremony. And he was like, man, I, 
almost don't want to be here. I said, I know, man. I know, I know that feeling. I said, but guess what? Sitting, it's okay. It's they had that feeling. And we sat there and talked about our mother. So yeah, everybody who has had a mother made trans, who is mother's ancestor, everybody whose mother is here, y'all call them. Cause yeah, because you know, that's what we would do. I mean, your mom, how your mom doing? She's doing good. She's doing good. Yeah, I talk to her every day. Every I know you do. I miss she gonna call me. Uh, <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, including the, uh, Dr. Amin, her girl, yeah. girl yes, and uh, yeah, we 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 love Sunyata, and then we just get hey, y'all, we just getting started, so we wrapping up Barracoon on Monday. And the, yeah, I also want to just this. I feel like we got church minutes or something. So um, <laughs> you know, the God, so sister, you know, the shut-ins to the shut-ins. No, so uh, uh sister, sister, um. Tanya Pinkins, you know, she's on my show every week. Yes! A, she's a, a venerable Nubian. Um, we were having this conversation about this play that she saw, um, the, the revival of For Colored Girls, right? Yes! And unfortunately, and Ron Simons, producer, Black, Black, Black producers, Black, the, the actresses, yes. had a couple of them on my radio show. Tanya said it was the best play. You know, she's a Broadway diva. No question. Before. She was like, the way these sisters put it down, I don't ever need to be on Broadway. Like they are so really. Like she said it was one of the most incredible plays she's ever seen, and it's empowering because you know, the, you know the the original play and the original book is, uh, could be a little depressing. And during these times, I know people want to run away from that, but she said it was just the opposite. So I bought two tickets, even though I'm not gonna go, and I'm gonna give them to a Nubian that DMs me and tells me one of the twelve. You should know that Dr. Carr and I have in narrative. So you gotta be in Nubia and narrative. And the first two is two tickets um for and I'm gonna tell you when for May 18th, uh at, at 2 p.m. So you gotta be in New York, May 18th. Don't waste this money. I bought two tickets, orchestra center, row A, seat 108. I spent coin on it. So they're prime tickets uh for color girls. And the first two, uh, first Nubian that comes in, you get the two tickets, and I'm probably gonna buy more, but we're gonna do more. Wow. Oh, you, you know, you know, you know, yeah, I, I gotta do the check to see if people went, just ask people who work there. That's how we got the best seats in the house for fences. Okay. No, because it's so funny because you know, this, I mean, when you go Broadway, I've only been to Broadway a couple of times. We went down there to go see fences. And we bought the cheap tickets because you know we waiting on the scalpers. Then we see you, and I went around the corner, got the tickets, came back, got in there. You know how them people who work the damn house are black. So we sitting there and we laughing because you're talking to black people. This is the governance structure, right? The cat was like, oh, no, man. See them seats down there? See, that's what Matt Damon and them seats did. Come on. It took us down to the joint. So I'm looking at Viola Davis and, and, and Denzel Washington. I'm an old theater man. So, you know, if you're close to the stage, you're going to get spit on. Because, right? I mean, they're projecting, right? So I'm sitting there. Asshole. Well, yeah, now it would be very different, right? But uh, but but I'm raising that to say that, you know, Prof, I got to do the check or whatever the house is. Just find out who worked there. Did it was some seats. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to make sure this play uh, got supported because the, no the more, you know, so I did my part, bought two tickets. I'm probably going to buy more uh, before it's supposed to close on the 21st, I think. So ah. um, this is for, and it was supposed to run through June, July, uh, but it didn't, you know, didn't do well. Uh, so we, we have to, you know, we have to make a difference. So maybe 2 p.m. If you're in New York City, DM me in Nubia because everybody y'all following me in Nubia. So you can yes. message me. And the first person that comes in with one of the 12 that we covered in You Should Know a Narrative will get the tickets. And I'll email them to you because I can do that. 
Well, well, we we and and, and so please, because I know y'all been talking about that, right? So time you've been talking about it. You've been talking about it. Yeah, yeah let's we look Broadway. Look, this is like you said. I mean, Tony. Uh, I start to say Tony Cade. I'm thinking about Tony Cade because he's on my mind for what we're about to say next. But um, uh, and Tazaki Shange. I'm looking back because I think my copy. I got a signed copy around here somewhere. But anyway, uh, the play. The um, I had that book in my in my in our house when I was growing up, and I, I was say yeah, that cover was iconic. And yes. so, and it, but it scared me as a little girl because I was like, "What is suicide?" You know, like it was Listen. it was something that yeah. That scene in there, and we won't start enumerating scenes, but there are a couple of times in there where you just lose your breath. You just out of, because the thing turns so quickly. And so, yeah, no, we got to support our shows and our shows. I mean, you know, and anyway, I'm going to get too deep into that because it's stuff like slave play and sin. it's things they like and things we like. <laughs> the ones that are, that are, that are still running, you know, kind of feed the narrative no that people comfortable with us being in those positions. No question. Uh, this no is question. not going to make those people comfortable and it is very very black so oh yeah no question no the other thing, the other thing i was gonna say is that we know monday we're finishing barracoon we're getting into all of uh Kasula's proverbs we're getting into the back matter alice walker is writing about in search of zora Neale hurston uh dr plant professor plant is talking about how she came to this so we're going to finish that and then we um we've been having a conversation trying to again come up with some stuff that is kind of transitional because you know office hours didn't start as this but it's been so wonderful having conversations around text and this sister's name came up um and then professor i don't want you to come back in because we're on a journey to the the, the next person um maybe for at least a, a teaser of a week i'm going to put something in nubia for everybody from this sister from this actually this volume this is tony Cade mambara uh, tony Cade is yeah and this is the one her sister tony morrison wrote the, the introduction to the preface deep sightings and rescue missions so again support those black bookstores in fact i was at sankova when i walked over and then christine and chris was like okay so we're gonna do we said tony k would be good as a transition but here's where we're going um memorial day weekend we know is normally larry crow and them would go to martin delaney's grave in xenia ohio on the uh, memorial day and this memorial day weekend monday and i was thinking you know one of the books we I keep talking about if we spent and we're only going to do this for one week we kind of like transitioning uh just the essay i'm gonna put that in for all the nubians to piece out of here that we'll kind of just have that'll be easier and then uh the week of the 23rd and the 30th we which will lead us to memorial day um martin delaney's blake it's so important. Blake or the Huts of America. That gives us, and that'll put us in, because Blake, you remember, they say- Because I was trying to get Uraeus to put it in Nubia, because I think it's public domain. Is, is it public domain? If it's public domain, that's cool, because I'm saying, because, you know, I got physical copy now. I love it. But we then- need, we need a digital copy of it. This, okay, we, we got a digital copy in Nubia, Z, you know, that, that, that'll make it even that much easier. Now, then, that is that, that leads us to June, the 6th, the 13th, and the 20th. That gives us three weeks. And Professor Hunter, would you like to share with the people? No, because I think we should work it out. Because when you just brought up Tony, this is an organic, uh, you know. No, I think I, I love, I, well, I mean, okay, we can, we can say less for now. But I'm just saying, be yeah. on the look at, imagine, because, you know, we we listen to each other. We all listen to all of us. And one of the conversations we had, we had Woodson, we had Du Bois, and then we kind of emptied into, you know, the next space. And we started talking about. How are we gonna have these conversations? People say, well, you know, we need some women. Okay, yeah, no question. I mean, we just, I mean, it's organic. But let me just, 
I never said we needed women. No, that's you. I'm you talking said, about. And, yeah, you said, and I was like, but if well, Nubian started saying, I mean, I, I, I'll try to be, and my thing is that we live in a patriarchy, so women obviously haven't had the same types of spaces, but publishing itself should not be as we, as you said before, it shouldn't be that. And this is somebody with how many you got? Eight, seven, eight New York oh, Times bestsellers. I've eight New York Times bestsellers as a person that has either assisted in writing or written people whose yes. names are on books. Uh, and I have three as a publisher, three New York Times bestsellers. See? Now that's what they call a flex. <laughs> that ain't a humble brag. I asked that. She did not know I was going to ask that. But I'm just saying for all y'all out there. So if anybody knows, you know more than anybody. And I'm saying even the conversation you had with Tracy Sherrod, those of you not in Nubia, understand people are coming into this space having conversations that are freeing. But in tone terms of Coney K, like you said, I mean, Highly, myself, Acklin Lynch, we had like a two-hour conversation on Tony Cade that he's got taped somewhere because he films everything. And we went through all of her work, Salt Eaters, all her essays, even this one, Deep Sightings and Rescue Missions. And I was, I was talking to him yesterday about because we were talking about Tony Cade. And he was like, yeah, because he knew Tony Cade. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a whole, but I love Tony Morrison. Don't get me wrong. The language is power. Tony Cade is, is a little different. It's a little something else. You know, Tony Cade was the kind of writer when she was living in Atlanta, she'd say something like, they came to my house because they needed a will, and they, somebody in the neighborhood told them I was a writer. So I helped them write their will. I mean, I mean that's the kind of, you know, Tony K. So I mean, you know, I mean, that's what we should be doing with our skills. Uh, baby, somebody told me you were a writer. Yes, ma'am. Well, I need my real. Well, what am I supposed to say? No, I'm a novelist and an essay. No, let me say, okay, what you need to say? <laughs> you take this to the lawyer. I mean, it's a So we want to spend a, at least a minute, and maybe we'll come back around to her, but. But these sisters, and not because they're women, but also because they're women, black women, there is language, there is perspective, there's points of entry. Carji Wilson want to fight somebody. Carji Wilson was never a woman. <laughs> so I'm saying there's another way to say what Wilson is saying that we might overlook just depending on the lens. It's just like you just talked about the, the things other than terminating a pregnancy that are at the center of this thing that Samuel Lito can never know. And Greg Carr can never know. And we share nothing. Besides being biological males, <laughs> so we, 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 we'll work it out. But I kind of think I've kind of I'm, I'm 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 around it where you are. We had we're gonna talk about this conversation later, y'all. This conversation that Professor Hunter and I had, and I'm I think I'm yeah I'm not I don't I think like, I'm more than I like the expansion. You know, your office hours are freaking amazing. Like I sit there, I'm in I'm in office hours as yeah. as, as a Nubian, <laughs> and you know what I love. I mean, I've never seen anyone break down a book. The way you have, um, and you know, I've been in book clubs here and there. This is not a book club. This is a whole ass. No. But what I also love is that the Nubians, many of us, um, and I and I speak about this off mic, on mic. You know, we come with a very colonized, some of us very addled uh, education. You know, we're addled in a way that it's like, and and many of us in adulthood, we read just just how we consume social media. The things yes. our itchy ears want to hear. But yes. the, the growth comes in the discomfort and the growth comes in stretching yourself and doing things. And a lot of us, particularly men, don't read a lot of novels. No, you know, that's women's stuff. No, no, but it's in the novels, in, in your graphic novels, in your comic books and in the actual beauty of language that people have, you know, experienced and been able to disseminate is where your creative juices are connected. You know, it's like that's where the magic happens. No so question. we 
So I'm looking forward to Tony because we had this debate, you and I off mic. I'm like Tony Morrison all day. You were like, mm. <laughs> I ain't mad to her. I love Ms. Morrison. I got a chance to sit with her, meet her. I know Ms. Morrison. And nothing like watching Tony Morrison and Sonia Sanchez, my Andrew, sitting around because they just black women. And you know, black women talk the best. Shit. I don't know what y'all <laughs> Woo! Them stories can't be repeated. That's not <laughs> You said if you had one Tony, it was it was gonna be her, Tony. But if I had to pick, yeah, I mean, only because Tony, Tony so, Kate is just. So I'm looking forward to this, you know, yeah. because for me, you know, I'm I'm set, so I want to be broken, uh, to me the too. way that I think about things, and so I'm looking forward to all of the books and all of the. So thank you. Well, in the wake of this, uh, yeah, we won't. But I'm just saying, it, it may, it, you know what? After y'all read this, a little opinion, or maybe before, if you haven't yet read, beloved. Maybe it's a, it's, t- I mean, again, the way we look at things, very different. <laughs> Wait, yeah, maybe we can send it to Sam Alito, but he wouldn't read it. He'd probably just be like, here, go another, another N word. Exactly. Exactly. That's all right, Sam. Your little country coming apart. You can't save it. Yeah, no, you can build something better. BBB, build back better. Yeah. Love you. <laughs> we'll see y'all. Uh, we're going to post something for tomorrow, but we'll see you in uh, office hours on Monday. And happy birthday. Yes. Yeah. Happy birthday. Love you. Love you.